Hello, hello. This is Tom Arnish of Arnish Models, interrupting this great podcast for an annoying ad again. If you need high-precision tools, 3D models, decals or resin parts for hyper-detailing, and I'm sure you do, then just visit my webshop www.anish.io A-N-Y-Z dot I-O Low-priced worldwide shipping and even free shipping for many countries available. And believe it or not, all orders above 50 euros qualify for a free decal sheet of your choice. So, hurry up! See you on the interwebs on anish.io Friends, the show you're about to hear may contain coarse language, progressive attitudes about scale modeling, and in-depth discussion of technique and concept. If this is not your thing, then on your bike. Otherwise, please enjoy today's show while at the bench, on the drive to work, or while enjoying an adult beverage. Welcome, Llama Farmers, to episode 41 of the Sprue Cutters <laughs> Union. Llama Farmers. <laughs> we llama, llama, llama. Llama Farmer drama. <laughs> I'll start again. Welcome, everyone, to episode 41 of the Sprue no, Cutters no, no, no. Union. You're not starting again. You, 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 if we're going to be embarrassed, you're going to be embarrassed. Fuck it. I don't care. I'm leaving all of this in. <laughs> My name is Chris Meddings, and with me I have Tracy Hancock and Hi Will there. Patson. Hello, hello. Uh, it's it, like we're on three weeks now, and it feels like forever since we put an episode out. So, uh, Will, what have you been doing in the meantime? Well, I have. I mean, it's been all about the 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 Musaru Cup. I mean, I mm. you know, I, I, I'm I, like a good team player. I had to get that shit done, and I did finish pretty comfortably last week. It was nice. It was exactly the way that I like it. Because I had already done all the small bits, you know, they were all, all the, you know, mm-hmm, propeller mm-hmm. and landing gear Drop and all that dumb shit that was mm-hmm. already painted. And, and, you know, I knew how they were going to fit the, the drop tanks, even though I had set them up for drilling and pinning. Uh, I mean, it, it was like literally trying to balance a football on the edge of a fence that I got. I mean, I love Arma. You guys, you know. They, they, you guys are doing great things, but that is an engineering decision that I cannot support. I mean, it's just, you know, when you get to the point with something like drop tanks, which everything's already painted, right? That needs to be shake and bake. I'm just saying that should be plug and play. You don't want stress at that point. And, and uh, I, you know, even with the pins, it was uh, not perfect. Anyway, um, you know, got all that done, got my pictures taken. And so I think I'm the third one across the line. I just realized last night that I still haven't sent my pictures in. And that is probably a subconscious manifestation of the fact that I fucking hate it. I, I do not like it. I am not a fan. This is the first time, honestly, that I've not been excited about doing the photography. I mean, that's what I, that's kind of what I live for. That's kind of my modeling raison d'etre. Did I say that right? Uh, Depends what you were trying to say. A reason for being, <laughs> I... Uh, right in now, French people. <laughs> I just was not stoked about it. The uh, aqua, gro- aqua gross drama that I had 
left some telltales that I didn't see until it was really too late to do anything about it. And, okay, so confession time, mental health time. I have a problem. My name is Will Patterson, and I have a problem. I'm a perfectionist. And, you know, I think people think that that a perfectionist is someone who thinks that things can be perfect and that there's a certain amount of arrogance that goes with that. And that's not what it is. It's like a low key form of obsessive compulsive disorder where you cannot let go of an imperfection. Like I lie awake at night pissed off and annoyed because of a flick in my paint. I mean, it's literally true. It, it's it's maddening. It drives me fucking crazy. I, I hate it. I wish it wasn't the truth. But it's also the thing that drives me, you know, to do good work. And so it's like this weird double-edged sword. I, I, I don't think I'd want to live without it. But it's a burden at times. And when it makes you hate your work, it's not fun. And that's kind of where I'm at with this little Armistang thing. So I'm happy to be done with it. And, uh, you know, the chips will fall where they may. Um, we, uh, <laughs> chips, chips. Cause I, cause I know you, that was one of the issues. You weren't really happy with some of the mark making that you kind of had to compromise. I, you know, actually, no, I'm okay with most of that. I was pretty pleased with the chips. That's one thing that I liked. I was happy with the, with the streaking that I did. My streaking game was on point that day. Point. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> yeah. They yeah. do look painted on the. Oh fuck you. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> but I but 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 I I do I just I I adopted a long time ago. I um you know I I've, I've been a long time fan of Carlos Starton's work and and he said something to me one time. He was like, "Dude, don't compromise ever. You've always got time. You can always fix it." And I just that became sort of my my mantra. And I don't I mean, you guys saw when the whole decal thing happened, I just sanded that shit off and repainted it and moved on. Well, it's like and, your and so, motto, isn't it? Fix that shit. I mean, that's kind of your mantra. Unfuck, you, unfuck your shit. Yeah. And um, to finish a model and leave flaws that really, truly are fixable bothers me. That's the, that's the perfectionism thing at play. And uh, a therapist told me once a long time ago that part of the key to getting past that is to just force yourself to leave it. Force yourself to just walk away from it. And you've never and, seen that therapist again. And, and then come back <laughs> and fix yeah. it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Right. Fuck that guy. Who gave him a license? Yeah, you know, so I don't know. It's 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 hard, and I don't like it. Um, but I then turned my attention to a little uh, one tenth scale bust that I've been slow, you know, kind of dabbling with, and I'm having fun with that for a minute. So anyway, yeah, sorry. That's that was, you know, you ask what time it is. It got told how to build a clock in typical fashion for me. So. <laughs> But that's where we're at. We have to turn our shit in by, let's see, today's Tuesday, March the 7th. We have to turn our pictures in by Saturday the 11th at midnight. And I'm telling you, there are some guys who are going to be squeaking in at the last possible second. I, I'm watching, you know. 
I don't know that anybody else is done. I, there's three that I know of for sure that are done, done. And the rest, mm, there's guys who don't even have landing gear. I thought that, you know, Dinklow over there doesn't even have his paint finished. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got this. And I'm sure he does. Yeah, you know, but, but he never, ever sleeps. Right. Yeah. He never sleeps. He travels and, into and the so city he, and works yeah. every day. He's like got, what, a 14-hour round trip for that. And then he comes over and does like yeah. eight hours on the uh, is he yeah. got longer days than the rest of us? I don't know how that fucking works. Yeah, somehow, somehow. But I know that he is, you know, even even though he's got the same number of days, he's a lot more likely to finish than some of these other guys who don't even have. I know of three that as of yesterday still didn't have landing gear on. And, uh, well, Brian's got a magic shed. You know, yeah. he goes into his magic shed and time stops. And... He 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 actually does have a magic shed, and I will not say any more about that. But you know those little gunplay builds? They're actually mm. little mini robots and he gets them to build shit. <laughs> You're right. They, yeah. <laughs> they work at night yeah. you know, on his behalf. Dim, so, dim, 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 yeah. Whenever you open dim, the door, they all just dim, dim. plastic pose. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's night in the magic shed instead of the night in the museum. Um, mm. We saw it though. You, you sent it to us in the chat and I think we both agreed though. It's fantastic. You know. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, I sent you guys the exact set of pictures that I'm going to submit. And I, I was counting on you guys to, to pick out anything that I still had time to fix. And I, I got I nothing. Tried. So, yeah, I mean, you, know. yeah, you I didn't? didn't see anything. Yeah, because I know that oh. like you like people to, you, you know, you if there's something you can fix that you might have missed, you want to know. yeah. Absolutely. So I really wanted to find something because then I'd like get, <laughs> I'd get a gold star from you for like good eyesight or some shit. But no, I couldn't see anything. I honestly say, and like, you know, There'll be people listening to this going, you fucking smart But Yeah, nepotism. <laughs> but I honestly think it's one of the best 172nd aircraft I've ever seen. Well, I, it's I, I mean it's up there, man. I, it's not like, the best, but the, you know, it's up there. Definitely not. <laughs> your scale's thirty two, you know? Yeah, I just I, you know, I mean it was it was really I I told you guys I wanted to answer the question for myself, you know, if I could do it. And and truthfully, I was thinking about it over the weekend. This is again is part of that beating myself up thing. I, that was honestly pretty self indulgent and a very not team player thing to do, <laughs> because this was a contest. And what I should have done was just stuck to the fucking formula, rather than you know giving in to my own desire to just see if I could I could I could make it do what I wanted it to do. And so I already feel like I've, you know, like nah, I, I disagree with. That. I've already, I've already dropped that. the pass. All I'm, I'm hearing is just shut up and enjoy it. Uh, Look, right. the way the way I look at it, 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 every project is your time to work, right? So you you wanted to do something with this project, so you did it. Like, why why feel bad about it? Like, that's time you're never going to get back. And if you just like formulate it and put it out the other end you'd be like well that was a waste of time because mm-hmm. you gain nothing right uh, you, I, you you get some experience in in model building and painting and mark making and all those things but you're not pushing yourself enough for it to be anything so at least you hate the model now instead of being a model you don't know i think you learned a lot on it I did. I, I did. I learned some things. I learned a lot about what not to do, and that's always important. And and, and that's that's actually a thing. And and look, if 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 one of you two guys had been building, and I would have said exactly what Tracy just said. Yeah, don't worry about it, man. It's who cares? It's inconsequential. 
But I have this voice in my head, this hyper competitive thing. And, you know, like I, this is why I said this is mental health confession time. This is the shit that drives me crazy. This is my neurosis. And I'm, I, I, you know, I'm just. I'm not going to tell you to, to get over it for the very reason that you've already said, which is it's what it drives you to do the best you can. So, and, you know, you get yeah. something out of that. So you might not get happiness, but you get something. Out yeah, of that. and we both know, you know, from our relative struggles that just getting over it's not that much of an option, right? It ain't that it's easier. It's a lot easier to say than do. Yeah, but know? fighting it is. It's all you can do with any of these things is you can just, you know, you just fight it. But it's hard, right? Is it also partly because you had a couple dramas with it? Do you think maybe that's another reason you're finding it hard to like that you had the loss? Because I have projects where. Even though when it comes out at the end, it's a competent result. I still hate it just because the fucker fought me so much all the way through. Well, it's that's that's a thing. I mean, that's definitely part of it because I don't like it when they get out of my control. Mm-hmm. Like that whole battle, just battle damage, dude. That, you know, no. Because whatever happens, I want it to be because I decided I wanted it to happen, right? Yeah, that's and intentional. Yeah, and so when shit happens that I, I don't I, look. I don't mind a drama. Like I, I mean, that's that's how we learn. That's you know, unfucking your shit is is what develops those those some of those really important skills and 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 your confidence level. So, like that whole thing with the with the insignia where I had to yank it off and sand it and paint it. That didn't, dude. That didn't even make the needle move. That's just like, oh, okay, cool. That was literally a Tuesday. Just another Tuesday. No, it doesn't bother me. (laughs) Had I not been able to fix it, then I would have been pissed. Had I been unable to decide after the fact that it was all good, at least like there's no no evidence there that I could see, I would have I would have been pissed. And I and that would have made me hate it. And that is the it, and that's the issue with with the aquagloss drama is that when I look at that thing through my optivisor, the problems that I caused myself with one simple stupid fucking mistake are like in neon. Hey, look at me over here looking like ass. <laughs> that's that's uh, look. I'm let I'm letting I'm letting you I'm letting you people in to the fucking weirdness that's in you know that's in my head. I, I can finish something and then hate it. Like like the Japanese tank diorama that I did. I fucking hate really? it. Really? Yeah. I hate it. Yeah, I'm I'm to the point where I'm like, maybe I'll just like snatch the the stuff that I can reuse off of it and, and, and be done with it. Just it, it, I don't know. It, it didn't I don't know. It, it was like kinda like pushing a noodle, man. It's just like but let me ask you. It's okay. Let me ask you a question. Did you hate it? Mm. Did you hate it when you were finishing it? Did it? Did it feel okay at the time? No. Yeah. No. It just. It felt like blah. Yeah. Blah blah blah. And in the end, I just felt like mine was boring. It's just boring. It doesn't tell a good story. It's like, you know, honestly, like if I was scrolling through you know, Facebook and, and saw it, I would pause and keep scrolling. Uh, it's not, it, it's nothing I would stop and, and 
really investigate and look at, you know, it's just, I don't know. I remember the conversations we were having though, as you were finishing it. And I think the problem with that diorama maybe is who you were when you started it and who you were when you were finished it were very different because your ideas and thoughts maybe about a story about storytelling well, and stuff had changed hugely for the people we spoke to and that's why i asked if you hated it when you finished it because i think it's a very different thing to hate it while it's happening and to hate it later as you've evolved as a craftsman i i just feel like i didn't have like a real solid idea of what I wanted it to be in the end. Like yeah. it just, it kept evolving as things cropped up, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like when you cut a board too short and then you cobble <laughs> another board on the yeah. end of it to make them like in the end you get there, but at the same time, like what the fuck have you done? Yeah. I know I've been running my mouth a lot, but that's a really important thing. It's what I call chasing. And it, 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 it to me is one of the most insidious and dangerous things. It, it, it's it's like, it's exactly that. Like, yeah, the color's not quite right. I'll just add some more of this, and you mm-hmm. keep fucking with it. And the next thing you know, you're just it's completely out of control. And recognizing when you're chasing, and being able to say, "Whoa, stop! I got to get out of this like cycle that I'm in." I think is a really important thing for making progress. Yeah, and I—I I mean, I don't know if the if the two are comparable. I guess they are, because because of the um, the time span and everything. But I feel like the Panzer One Dio is—I I feel the opposite about. I, I love it. It's like I just, yeah. I'm, I'm really satisfied with every element of it. But also, I can't let myself forget that along the way, I fucked that thing up. But I also stopped and was like, you know what? No, this the, the, like the fix isn't to keep going forward. The fix is to go backwards and start again. Because exactly. re- remember, wasn't that the one where you had the fucking paint disaster and you were ready? Two, you, two paint you, were, you were ready to smash that thing with a hammer. I remember. Yeah. You were yep. fucking pissed. And I was but I really wanted to do this vehicle. Yeah. I've been sitting on the shelf for 10 years and like, I just felt like I, I, I knew what I wanted it to be. And every fuck up was my own fault for just being lackadaisical and being like, well, that's not really the color I want. I'll just go with that anyway. But you were, and then put it on and, you, and you, hate it. You know, you remember that day, right? Cause you, you said that it wasn't going right. And you kept, you were like, I'm going to get this. And you, you were, doing the classic thing of throwing good paint after bad mm-hmm. and it and it just kept getting worse until you finally quit i mean that's you what rage i'm talking sprayed about and that. Then, yeah. you rage sprayed yeah 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 that's the only thing that saved that model actually was the rage because <laughs> otherwise i would have just smashed yeah the but you but the important thing is is you recognize that you were chasing and you broke yourself out of that in some way and did a reset yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did a reset a couple of times until I got the paint where I wanted it. And that's not to say I didn't run into challenges. You know, like once I finally got it kind of where I wanted it, the overspray wasn't great, you know. So I did a lot of work with oils and like, you know, I just felt like, and okay, this, this is a lot closer, you know, a lot, a lot closer. So I can, I can work with this and keep going. But also... 
I don't know. I just, I, it was in, probably because the Japanese tank diode didn't come out the way I wanted it to. And I keep, you know, it's on my display case. I, you know, I don't look at it a lot, but it's there. And it's just a reminder of like, okay, like you're, you're trying to push your storytelling skills. You're trying to push like your interaction with figures and, and your composition, all these things that I really was trying to work on. And it's okay that the piece that I tried to implement some of that stuff didn't work. It's okay. Because, you know, you're not, you don't shoot out of the womb knowing how to drive a car either. Like you have to fail before you can be good at something. And that's, that is across the board with this hobby. Like you, you, nobody's got skills from the get go, right? You fail, you get, you learn something from your failure, you get better, you keep going. So I think with the Panzer one Dio, I had learned my lessons about what wasn't working on the Japanese tank Dio, and I slowed the fuck down and made sure everything was how I wanted it and working the way I wanted it. And also, like we talked about before, I reach out to people that I trust and who are very good, very skilled. I've got, uh, you know, we've talked about it before. I've got a group of people that I rely on to be my eyes on this and give me advice and like, there's the two of you, there's Lester Plaskett, there's Sam Dwyer. Like, these are people that I'm like, okay, what do you see? And they're like, mm, nah, you know. Um, they give good, honest feedback. Also, they encourage, you know, they, they keep you motivated and keep you going like, hey, dude, this is looking great. Which also, you know, when they're showing you their work, then it really makes you want to get back to the bench and get a little something done so you can send a little quick little snapshot to them. And like, it just, it's a good, it's a good motivator, you know? Um, but also just to, to have people who will be honest and tell you what's working, what's not help you work through problems and tell you, maybe you should try this. Maybe you should try that. But yeah, the Panzer one came out the way I wanted the, the Japanese Dio is like a, a crooked shed. Can I, can I, can I tell you what, what, what at least one thing I think was most significant in that journey for you? Sure. I mean, I, you with the, with the Cheeto or whatever the fuck that thing was called. <laughs> Dorito. <laughs> Dorito. You tried to do a really hard thing something that I think a lot of people grossly uh, underestimate. I mean, we, you know, Chris, you posted that thing the other day on the page about modeling cliches. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were like, Oh, Germans pointing, you know, the, the specific thing was what cl- cliches would we, are we all tired of in yeah. diorama composition? And, you know, Germans pointing and it, ironic that some of the answers were cliches in themselves as cliche cliches, if you see what I mean. <laughs> but it, it was a good, it was a great discussion. I mean, we could have, we could have done a whole episode on that, on that thread. But, but the point being is cliches are cliches for a reason. Mm. They're obvious. They work. They, they, they resonate. They speak to people easily. You don't have to be educated to understand the story. And the story that you were telling with the, with the Japanese tank was very subtle like it came down to body language Mm. and you know peter usher okay that guy can do it like he's a master of telling a uh, an effective story with one or two elements and it's just down to the to the to the angle of the arm right 
and 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 there's no shame in your game in not making it to that point with the Japanese Dio because you were doing a really subtle thing. Oh, these guys are sad. They just heard the news. They're fucking upset. They lost. Whatever. You knew it. You knew the story. But tough for other people to see. But the thing with the cats and the guy, dude, you anybody understands that, right? And you did it elegantly and simply and very effectively. And it was cool to sort of watch that progression. You know, I, mm. I can't wait to see what you do next. Yeah, good segue. We need to. We haven't even got onto <laughs> yeah, what you're sorry. doing now yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> what are you doing now, Tracy? Uh, I mean, I'm back on the scimitar. Uh, finished the uh, finished the weathering on the turret. So uh, at this point, I have to attach the camouflage netting to the turret, weather that, and do the final assembly of the the vehicle. Um, the hull's done, the wheels are done, the tracks are done. Um, it's just a matter of like putting it all together and um, and then start working on the base and the figures. I you showed us some photos. I think the dust and dirt on the bins and on the hull is is the best you've done. I think really nice, really realistic. I'm having a good time with it. And I'll tell you one of the things that I like the best and it's going to make me probably pause once I get the scimitar itself finished um, and jump back on the Panther and get the Panther uh, built and painted. One of the things I really loved was that I had the scimitar painted. So whenever I finished the Panzer one Dio, I was you know, it was all about weathering and composition and, and all that stuff. And then I jumped right into weathering a tank. Yeah. Like I, I didn't have to build. I didn't have to paint. Like I had a canvas ready to go to start weathering, which has made this, it really kept the flow going um, in a real cool way. And I think once I get the final assembly of the scimitar done and then have two other things to work on the base and the figures, then I can sort of divide my time up between working on those and working on the Panther and get the Panther up to a point where it's maybe painted and ready to go whenever I finish the scimitar. I like, I like that a lot. That's it. And for me, it was a really good workflow. So it and breaks it for you having to stop and build something. Or are you just uh, already in that I zone? Mean, yeah, it does. Right. Cause you're in the, you're in the mind frame of working weathering, right? You're, you're pushing, oils and and building up gunk and all the fun things that you get to do with weathering um and then your mindset shifts to construction and it's a different set of problems like it's it's engineering versus art right so your engineering brain takes over and you build something and then you paint it and then you get get it ready for you know the art side to take over so um and i'm i'm this scimitar project is pretty ambitious. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to sculpt, if not sculpt, convert some figures. Again, it's like I I think I've got the storytelling bug now, where I'm like, okay, like it's the story I want to tell is not there in the figure market really, um, and especially with modern figures, like you know, and the interview that we have coming up with Taesung and, and Calvin, Taesung mentions. Modern shit doesn't sell. So there's not a lot of it. 
Especially um, not Cold War British. I mean, if you right. are looking at modern, you, you're usually looking at Vietnam War figures or, you know, stuff that where there's been fighting. The sort of the Cold Warriors, yeah. you don't get so much of it. Yeah, there's, mm-hmm. not, there's not a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, but that's kind of where I am. Mm-hmm. What about you? I, I've got two aircraft builds on the go. I've got a 172nd fine molds F4D so that I can put my decals on it for my new decal set. One of, you know, somewhere in this episode, there'll be me over explaining it in an advert. And um, <laughs> I've got the Hong Kong models, 132nds uh, A20G Havoc back on the bench as well. So uh, I'm really, uh, I had to pause with that for a bit because they were getting some more parts made and I had to wait for them to send them to me because th- it, this is a test shot and they're still in the middle of other test shots and it's not quite ready for release yet. Um, but I want to release a little book, a, a short book about how to build the kit in time for the kit being released. I'll just say I'm super jelly that that you're kind of like, you're in the thick of that development part. You know, it's it's kind of obviously down towards the end because they've already done most of the tool making and, and they're doing test shots. But There's a surprising amount. I didn't realize how much of kit production seems to be more last minute than you would expect. Well, that's the nature of of, of tooling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you you can do all kinds of things to predict how it's going to go, and and still the plastic will shrink in a weird way, and you'll get a short shot or you well, they, know, or whatever. This so. is actually the second test shot they gave me, and the first one, some of the smaller parts were better molded. Uh, but the, I mean, I should say one of the things that's changed because everyone always asks me this every time I so much as mention the kit because everyone thinks they'd be really clever. Oh, I bet they've done the double push rods wrong like they did in the <laughs> in the Mitchell. <laughs> no, they fixed it. Model makers never forget. Oh, and also they never listen when you tell them <laughs> <It's> something. <true. laughs> and I've told people a hundred times before that yes, they fixed the engine thing. Okay. So, you know, between you can see it down. on the sprues. Calm down. It's all Don't good. worry, it's guys. Gonna be, it's going to be okay. Uh, and they've also, there were a few fit issues which I fed back. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I think there's three or four guys working on it. And probably if more than one person says the same thing, they think well, we should have a look at that. But some of the bits on the test, second test shot weren't as well molded. And I think it's just pressure when they popped that one out of the mold. Just a few I, short look, shots. Look, I got to so. I, I say, mad respect to Neil and his guys for embracing that strategy of getting real builders like you to work through the test shot and and then provide feedback and act on it you often hear don't you people say oh they design it on a screen but no one actually builds it no people are building it (laughs) and and we know that people are building it and i'm not hating on airfix but they, you know, in that interview, those guys talked about the fact that they are not model makers. And so, yeah, you know, Chris may have built the the new Spitfire a half dozen times, but that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to see the same issues or think about it in the same way as, as like their other, their new guy, uh, yeah. Peremjit. I mean, that's a, that's a critical thing. And I just, I don't get why. I mean, if I were, if I were king of a model company, I would be out there begging people build this shit before I even announce it. But they just don't. Um, Hong Kong models like Dora Wing, it surprises me as well how small these companies are. I interviewed Evgenev Tushenko from Dora Wings on the latest models from Ukraine podcast. And Dora Wings is him. That's it. And he spent eight, nine months last year fighting 
um, in the south of Ukraine. And while he was away, his wife ran the company. So that's it. The company's now two people. So uh, basically, he's packing and shipping orders. And also with Hong Kong models, I think there's only like two or three of them. These, you know, modern companies, because you can get someone, you can contract someone to do the CAD for you. You contract someone to do the injection molding for you. You don't need a lot of people to run a company. And I think people think, oh, they've got like, they've probably got a customer service team that's like 50 people. <laughs> no. It's not Amazon. Yeah. You know, people think of an office like they work in and they think there's 100 people there and they're not. And the fact they produce such high quality products with such small amounts of people is, is fun. In fact, actually, I have to quickly say, I also got the Volti Vanguard from Dora this week. He sent me one very kindly. And um, I, I've always liked Dora wings and they tackle subjects no one else will tackle. And I know a lot of listeners in America because I've heard it on other podcasts as well. They love the fact they do all the interwar American stuff that no one else touches. But the quality on this is getting up to airport level now. They've really taken that that jump forward in terms of surface detail and stuff like that. And to get back on point, um, the Havoc is the most fun I've had putting plastic together for years. It's a really nice kit. It's typical Hong Kong models. You probably want to, you know, you could add more detail if you want, but it goes together beautifully. Um, I just got that <laughs> moment when you click something together, you know? How was, how was that again? <laughs> <laughs> but like Airfix, don't paint mating surfaces, otherwise it won't fit. It, it, you know, it's tight like that. So you need to clean the paint off any surface before you, you glue it together. Mm. But um, unlike Airfix, I, it doesn't have the sink marks they sometimes get and, you know, issues sometimes in some areas with fit. And the fit on this one's pretty solid, so. I'm enjoying it hugely. I, I just want to go back to Will's comment about being the king of a model. I knew something company. was up. Yeah. You were laughing <laughs> <over> <laughs> uh, I was just over here smirking, and I'm thinking, like, what the fuck's your crown made up? Like, is it photo <laughs> Is it 3D printed? Like, <laughs> it's it's made. Is it, is it just a bunch of landing gear with wheels on it, like sticking oh, up? Oh God, no! I hate landing gear so bad. Surely it'd be like the priest of, of so you could make sacrifices of shitty kits to the styrene gods. Yeah. Bathing, uh, dropping them in a bathtub of uh, poly cement, <laughs> watching them melt like like Breaking Bad with that body in the first. <laughs> I've got a, a a a box full of fully assembled unpainted kits. I, the back when I was going to the local IPMS club. One of the guys who, and again, this just goes to show you like what model building is to different people, right? Like we're talking about finishing and composition and struggling. And this guy, model making to him was opening the box and gluing everything together. That's it. That's it. He never painted. He never cleaned up any seams. He just snipped the parts off the runners and glued them together. He glued the canopy onto the cockpit. And that, that was it. That's that's model building to him, and he move on to the he, next. He one. he he liked putting together a puzzle. Yeah. yeah. So, at a certain point, he was going to throw all these models away, and I was like, "No, you know what? I'll take them. I'll, I'll you know I'll nab wheels and propellers and whatever I need off of them. But now I think I'm going to get that box and build the crown out of all those <laughs> bits and pieces." <laughs> <laughs> We need to make that some kind of a tr- trophy or something for one of our listeners. Yeah. 
We should have some kind of uh, competition for the year, best model of the year or something, and give it give it to. (laughs) Yeah, but something silly, you know, something not the not the expected thing. We you know like an we need to have an essay contest or some shit like that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's have a think about that. All right, uh, we better move on. We've got some letters to go through, so let's Mm. have uh, some adverts. We got uh, three or four letters, quick ones to go through after these messages. From 1700 to 132nd, from armour to ships to aircraft, Tetra Model Works make the best PE on the market. High quality brass, precision etching and incredible design make it easy to work with and give superb results, elevating your models to new levels of detail. This month Tetra have released four new sets. In 135th they have the Coyote TSV Tactical Support Vehicle, a detail upset for Hobby Boss, and the M1278 Heavy Weapons Carrier General Purpose, JLTV GP detail upset for the I Love Kit set. In 172nd, the Thad Thermal High Altitude Area Defense detail upset for Trumpeter, and the 172nd M983 and MPQ 53 C band tracking radar detail upset also for Trumpeter. So, whether you build World War II, Allied, or Axis, modern aviation or armor, or cruisers, destroyers, and carriers, Tetra have the set to make your model special. Do your model a favour and visit tetramodel.com today to buy the best brass around. All right, so we're back. Uh, we've got some letters. Uh, first one is from uh, Dennis Lope. I hope I said that right. You'll see why in a minute. Hi, gang. Man, I love your show and it gets better every time. But there's always a but. Three butts <laughs> on this show. Two things. Uh, there's a burr under my saddle. I think it's very annoying that uh, a almost all English speakers do not show any interest in pronouncing German correctly. I think you should have constructed that sentence with better English grammar. <laughs> Wait a minute. Isn't he Dutch? <laughs> Why yeah, he does is. he care? <laughs> yeah. Or any other foreign words for that matter. I tell you what, he's got the problem with German, but... <laughs> I've seen people gamely try German because German's one of those languages in modeling everyone thinks they can do because of Gepanzerfagen, Schicksenswagen. But yeah. Dutch, fucking hell, people murder Dutch. Right. <laughs> Should we be like shitting a brick over, over saying them, then their foreign words wrong? I say it's their fault for not being English. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm, I don't know, man. I'm like, I, I just don't give a shit. I, I'm gonna like it, it, like I always go back to Junkers versus Yunkers. I just feel silly saying Yunkers. Yunkers, Yunkers. I know, Yunkers. I know, but Junkers just is more fun to say, and that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Sure, it's the Van Gogh versus Van Gogh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Panzerkampfwagen B one, and I'm four. and I know like, I know that that letter was really at me because I'm the worst when I talk go on about Verschlimmer Besserunging some shit. Sorry, <laughs> it's not changing. I I used to work with this woman, and if you said Paris, you go Paris, and if you said yeah, yeah oh, I went on holiday to Barcelona. Yeah, of course she was. And I went uh, on holiday to to Barcelona, and she said, "No, you went to Barcelona," yeah. and I'm like. Just, do you think uh, yeah. in Paris they go, no, not Londres, London. They don't. They don't fucking do it. They don't say New York. Yeah. They say New York. They just People don't do it. And I'll guarantee, you know, we all try, but none of us can speak every language yeah, with the perfect I don't, accent. I don't. I don't. I don't try. And, and But you, you made a good point. Oh, so you're a perfectionist except for that then. 
that that that's my one yeah so but that's a that's a thing that's a perception thing like you know when i'm watching cnn and there's some guy on there whose name is you know joe smith and he's talking about something that happened in the latin spanish speaking world and he's rolling his r's i'm like bro stop trying so hard yeah. you know well, the other thing is like we, we we kind of mock our mispronunciation of things because we kind of feel bad about not being yeah. able to pronounce <laughs> it right. Like, ain't none of us it, proud of not being able to pronounce it right. We we, we make it worse by by <laughs> la- trying to laugh at ourselves about yeah. it. So yeah, just we ask just a little bit of forgiveness on that one. For you yeah. Guys. So and also though, knowing Dennis, he's he's. He's got a bit of a wicked dry sense of humour. He's probably yeah, having he a poke. Yeah. <laughs> so also though, Dennis, thank you for all your support for this show and for my other show and for everything else. He's a really good guy. He's uh, he really is, supportive yeah, of, yeah, of things yeah. we do and we really do appreciate him listening. Uh, now he goes on to say, that the other thing is more of a missed opportunity when you interviewed the men from Airfix. Again, a great interview, great to listen to. But why didn't you ask them about the release agent myth? <laughs> He's got a point. <laughs> He does, and I was pissed because I totally forgot. I was going to. I totally yeah. forgot, and I just, I, yeah, I, I whiffed that one. They, it, it was in the, uh, you know, they had the one video where they went to the, to the uh, injection molding house where they're doing the actually production of the of the kit, and they talk specifically about the mold release thing, and the and the mold plant manager is like, nah, we don't need to use that, and uh, I, I was, I was like, you know gleefully going to bring that up during the interview and i just straight forgot i wish we had because i would have turned it into a clip to post every time someone says about (laughs) how you have to wash your sprues (laughs) i love that i need to wash my sprues before i get my greasy fucking mitts all over them what the fuck (laughs) wash it after you've built it if you're gonna wash it anyway so and next is from jonah ruka i'm gonna go with that uh, regarding opening old and dried oil paint tubes in your latest episode, simply run them under hot water for 15 to 30 seconds and it should open right up. I've opened nearly decade old paint this way. Hope that helps. It's a great tip. However, it would deny us the pleasure of picking the ring. That's true. That's <laughs> true. That was the whole point. It was the whole point. I mean, I'm just not getting up and going to the sink. I'd rather yeah. torture myself with a pair of channel locks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John Chung wrote in, and I, I think here we have to say that we, uh, we need to make a formal apology. Uh, it was cold <laughs> here in Toronto last night, and we experienced freezing rain that caused me to awaken this morning to one sixteenth of persistent ice over the entire one sixteenth of an inch. He's an engineer. Why is he not doing it in millimeters? Jesus. <laughs> Finally, over 30 minutes of defrosting the vehicle, I managed to scrape a big enough hole through the windshield to head off to work. All of this before I'd even had a bite to eat or morning coffee. So I thought, nothing would brighten my spirits more in this cold, wintry Canadian morning, eh? Than a new SCU episode that I've looked forward to. Wrong! He's done that in capitals. <laughs> so I don't recall the dude's name, but my fine polishing sewing needles are not, I quote, 16 penny nail or some shit. <laughs> they were $5.99 Canadian. That's about point tenths of a penny, isn't it, or something? Two weeks ago at the local Walmart, <laughs> I checked for a pack of 20. Assuming said pennies were American, that's at least 40% more premium. So that's all you, Will. <laughs> I think you should. I, I'm just, 
I'm just sitting here wondering why he spent all that time chipping the ice off instead of just throwing some really hot water on it. I'm, oh, you know. come on now. People are going <laughs> to do that now. <laughs> why didn't he just get a, get his needles and just like <laughs> scribe it off? <laughs> Sorry, John. You know what? If if he had scribed the individual tiles into the windshield, it would have melted much faster. It would have looked really cool too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I should add the caveat that you don't want to do the hot water trick if your windshield already has a crack in it. That's yeah, bad. Yeah, I think we bad. all learn. Uh, I don't know about you, but I certainly learned in um, science classes at school when you've been heating a, a beaker, you don't put it under a cold tap to cool it down. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 playing fast and loose with physics, but y- you know this is why we love John. He, you know. The guy's a complete badass, and mm. he, but you know, clearly he doesn't take himself too seriously, and it's you know, it's good to see that, yeah. And also, uh, he's been working more on that space shuttle. Go on, have a look at it, uh, just yeah. check out how he's enjoying that, um, 1960s pre CAD uh design work on that space shuttle because it's the ass end of it just it's just even close to fit not even near i'm not i'm not sure there's going to be any of the original thing left by the time i told him i just scratch a new one <laughs> right it's quicker and easier all right so, so you'd scratch your ass <laughs> i love scratching my ass <laughs> you might need to scratch a new ass yeah uh, Andy Hunt, this was actually a comment on one of our Facebook on the Facebook post about the previous episode. Uh, enjoyed the latest drop and the Airfits interview. As an Airfits kid, I found the comments on retailers and parents not wanting war kits interesting. I'm sure they know their customer base, but I don't think I know any parent who would object to their kid making a Spitfire. I may be wrong. Also, I wouldn't expect them to give a shout out, intentional or otherwise, to competitors. But the firm that's really been eating their lunch for the last thirty years is Games Workshop. If a kid is picking up paint. Uh, and a kit to build in 2023 they're most likely to be building space marines more than an airfix kit it's not all bad for airfix as i'm sure some kids move on to tanks and planes later on or as in my case 45 years on do both yeah he's not wrong i guess yeah my son builds uh warhammer 40,000 games workshop stuff and so i spend quite a lot of my time in games workshop shops Uh, and i build it with him and paint it with him actually i just don't show it on the interwebs because other games workshop adults are much better at it than I am. But, um, and it's embarrassing, but, uh, that place is full of kids. I see more kids in games workshop on a Saturday morning than I would see at a UK IPMS model show all weekend. So when people say kids don't uh, too interested in screens and don't want to come into the hobby, they are, they're just not coming into exactly the same hobby that people think that it's the hobby. If you see what I mean? Yeah, I mean the hobby's changing for adults and for kids, right? Yeah. Like for adults, it's it's kind of a golden age, and three D printing is is kicking to the curb some pain in the ass uh, stuff that photo etch was previously used for, and it's you know it, it's obviously progressing yeah. uh, using three D printing, but then for kids, it it's not. I, I disagree. I don't think many kids would be interested in building a Spitfire, really. Like, if you give them a choice between a Spitfire and an A-Wing from Star Wars, they're going to build the A-Wing from Bandai, I think. Um, but it's great that kids have an interest in building and painting something, you know. So yeah. it, it, it's a slightly different hobby for kids than it is for adults. And I think over time, it's going to evolve in, in a weird sort of way in that the historical part of the hobbies are going to be, become a minority. 
it's interesting as well because people might say oh but it's not really model it's it's gaming you know this stuff but he has friends who enjoy the painting side and and building side a lot more than the playing side that's why they do it because they're into the building and painting so they're the same skills they might be used slightly differently but the same things we got out of it as children and get out of it now the kids can get out of it they're just building different models so hey before we go on real quick since we were talking about what we were working on i know that uh i you guys got samples of the masterpiece models benchmate the fixture and you guys specifically got the newest version that has the adjustable jaws that are supposed to work better for things like you know tanks car bodies whatever and i know you've been using a little bit tracy at least uh Mm -hmm. you know just want to see what you know product feedback because yeah i i do know the guy who designed it and uh, i do know that he if he were the king would want feedback also i think if somebody sends you something really cool like that for free you, you do you give feedback right you you mention it you talk about it like i i was honestly had no idea it was coming and it arrived in the mail and i was like what is this this <laughs> is insane <laughs> yeah um, I, should, I should have given you a forewarning but you know whatever i eventually figured out you know you know through talking to you guys where it came from um so it's the first uh jig i've ever used um i generally just kind of like have just shit that I put underneath things so to get it off the bench and it's it's more of angle. a it's more of a thing with aircraft builders I feel like it is but uh, there's nothing wrong with having both your hands free right. and being able to move something around so um, I I took the scimitar hull and after I it's very quick assembly of this little thing even though there's no real instructions you just look at the picture and put it together but it's very easy to put it together based on the photo. Yeah, that's that's kind of how John felt. And I, I agreed with him that, you know, his comment was, yeah, bro, come on. If you need instructions to put this together, we have bigger problems. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and it, it's cool that the, um, the main uh, vertical arms are on elbows. So you can, if you don't have enough room going out you can reverse those elbows and get a a smidge more and if you don't have enough room coming in you can reverse them and get them a a smidge closer so i dug that uh and like i said i threw the scimitar hull on there and was immediately like okay i i would have used this uh it would have been incredibly handy whenever i was attaching the camouflage netting to uh the, the vehicle um because it holds it in place and you can put your camouflage netting you can for what i was doing i was kind of pushing it with a toothpick into nooks and crannies and then gluing it so you know it was a two-handed operation and what i was finding was the way i was using the you know crap around my desk to to angle things and anchor things was it, it worked but this would have been an easier solution it would have been much easier um to do a lot of the weathering uh on the vehicle with you know with my both hands free. Uh, and I'm certainly, I can see um, how aircraft modelers would find it uh, like impossible not to need, you know? Um, and one of the things that's really cool is because I build these real tiny 172nd scale airplanes, 
I put it together, and one of the first things I did was to make sure that these little bitty airplanes that I build will fit yeah. on there. And that's that's and good look. to know because I would have predicted that it might, that they that they might have been too small, you know, because we had to pick. We kind of had to say, all right, what's the most likely range? And there's a 148th scale and a 132nd scale version, but it's really just big, you know, large and, and small, you know, and, and you just kind of have to pick, yeah. okay, what's going to get 90% of the applications? Yeah. And I mean, I'm talking about like a little single engine 172nd scale aircraft for the wingspan and, you know, notice the fuselage length of like, yeah. Like you could wear it as a, on a necklace kind of thing. <laughs> right. And it's still, it still fits on there. So, um, that's awesome. Uh, the only, like I told you, the only thing that I would have done a little differently, and I do think there's a way to mod it at home is that uh, I'm going to call them the crown arms. The ones that, that stick up the jobs uh, that hold yeah. your vehicle, the jaws. Yes. Very good. Jaws. Uh, the jaws are, they don't, uh, come in close enough to fit the inside of a tank turret. And I confess that like ne- literally never occurred to me. I, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't build enough armor or it probably would have, but I'd never thought about somebody wanting to use it that way. It was all always about grabbing it from the outside. So yeah, yep. that's. Yeah. So, and like I was telling you, Will, I think the, um, the piece at the top of the, T assembly, um, where those jaws sort of fit the into recesses. channel that they slide back and forth in. Yes, the piece above that, um, the upper T of that assembly. If you, if you know, right now it's probably uh, the one I'm looking at is I'm going to say two inches, maybe a little less. If you just sort of knock it down to about a half an inch uh, or three quarters right above where the bolt is. It'll still create the channel that you need for the arms. Still act as a guide. Yes. But it'll also allow those arms to come close enough together that the jaws will fit inside the inner turret ring. So so you could just grind a little bit of that, of that upper flange off and you'd be, and you'd be good. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's, that's good to know. Uh, and that, uh, that was the only negative thing. Obviously, like with experience, you're going to determine like all of these assemblies can more or less be put together how you see fit. Um, so you'll you'll figure out like which side you want the, um, the wing nuts on to get access to mm-hmm. the way you move around, you know, um, but yeah, it's super versatile. I dig it, man. That was the goal, was for it to be versatile, for it to be easy to use, easy to put together, and not as expensive as some of the other options out there. Because like, I know a lot of armor guys like that octopus thing, and my impression is that it's like almost twice as expensive. So, And that's cool if that's what you like. But you know, we John wanted something that, that, that would be a little bit more of a price point product. Yeah. And yeah, easy I think- for him to manufacture. So Yeah. I, th- I think it's super versatile and I can definitely see myself getting a lot of use out of it. So I, I appreciate uh, being, have it, having it sent to me. And like I said, it's the first, it's the first real grown up jig I've ever had. So masterpiece models, get on over there to their website. They got a lot of cool stuff. They are not a sponsor. This was just sort of a thing because. Uh, sorry. Can we just say masterpiecemodels.com Cause there's also masterpiecemodels.co.uk, which is a different company. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's important. Yep. 
Yep. He's got a lot of cool products. Far more than Jake's. They do a lot of really neat models too. Yeah, yeah way, yeah, really way more. Models. Yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah, yeah. And tools are kind of one of those things that he just loves to do. He's been a professional model maker for years, hasn't he? So mm, yeah, he's an industrial model maker. Like he builds the full yeah. size or the you know large size shit that you see in museums and stuff like that. Corporate customers. Um, you know, giant models of, of rockets and things. And, and so, but he is also a scale modeler. So there you go. So I want to thank John as well for sending them to us. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Good stuff. And I appreciate it. And the I will put the yep. link in the show notes so people get the right masterpiece models. But like I said, they've got amazing stuff on there. And hopefully he's, hopefully he's geared up to be cranking them out again. He was moving, he was moving shop and uh, had a little bit of a standstill in production there for a bit. But I think he's probably they back They did on track. those 135th L, what's it called? LVCP um, riverine conversions, didn't they? Vietnam ones. Amazing models. Mm, he did those. He did a glider. He's, uh, he, he does dinosaurs. I mean, he, you know, he just does stuff that not a lot of people really, yeah. So coming up next is our feature interview. And um, we've, I'll be honest, we first asked Taysung if he would come on for an interview because usually we'd like to give interviewees obviously all the time to themselves so they can talk about their stuff. But Taysung said, hey, why don't you get Calvin in? And they're like the dream team, the double act from heaven. Let's have a listen to them and find out everything it takes to produce those figures and some amazing tips on painting them too. Hi, I'm Scott, the creator and owner of the Scale Modeler Supply, Australia's largest manufacturer of hobby paints. Our premium airbrush-ready acrylic acker paints are designed specifically for use on plastics, with a comprehensive range covering all popular modelling subjects including military, aircraft, rail, auto, sci-fi and more. And not only that, but we also have a wide selection of essential hobby tools and now, infinite colour and new range of water-based paints for miniatures. So to check out our range and to find your closest retailer, please visit our website at scalemodeler.com.au. So when quality matters, choose SMS Paints. All right, welcome to the interview for this episode of the Sprue Cutters Union. With us today, we have two giants of the little man figure industry. We have <laughs> Taysung Harms from Alpine Miniatures and Calvin Tan of, well, it's Calvin Tan, isn't it? <laughs> welcome to the show, both of you, Calvin and Taysung. All right, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Chris. Tracy. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah, thank you for having us. Glad yeah. to have you guys aboard. All right, so uh, you two have known each other for a long, long time. Is that right? Oh, uh, yes. yeah. So <laughs> we go I, way back. Yeah, 2003, three, four, around that time. Probably, yeah, around there. Correct. How did mm. you two actually meet? Was it online? Yes, I, I think I contacted him first for, for box art. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the first one I did with you was for the, the US tank crew that was yeah. holding the grease gun and it was in like the mm. padded winter overalls with the winter trousers and the jacket. Yeah. It's out of production now, but yes, I remember it. Well, I, so I think it's a, good, it's a rare item. <laughs> I think we're assuming that everybody knows what each of you guys do, but maybe not. So just tell everybody quickly what where you guys are and what each of you what each of you do i mean we know that you guys are giants in the figures world but i i run this company called alpine miniatures it's in uh it's in new jersey <laughs> us uh i stopped in 2004 and 
I only sculpt. I, I mean, I did paint a couple of figures for you know for box art, but you know I'm not that good. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's when uh, Calvin comes in. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, right. I'm Calvin, so I mainly paint figures, but uh, I, on on occasion I still do a bit of sculpting on the side, mainly. But now I sort of like uh, limit uh, my sculpting to just doing conversions. So, I mean, for me, I mean, I used to do it semi-pro, but now I'm, it's more like a hobby for me because I have a, I have a full-time uh, job in the school. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's me in a nutshell. Hey, Calvin. Yeah. So, so when are you going to finish that um, 116th Vietnam, um, the U.S. Ranger? figure i i well the lerp uh the ranger figure that's uh that's that's in that's in storage somewhere <laughs> he's been working yeah. on that he, you know he's been sculpting that figure for i don't know like 15 years forever <laughs> forever so it's it's languishing it's uh it's joined the uh what they call that the uh the, the consorts of shelf queens oh. <laughs> the gray army yeah the gray army well, Calvin, yeah. where are you right now where are you coming from um, I'm calling from Singapore. Okay, and you, oh, and you okay. Uh, yeah. if I get to, you teach uh, in an art school. Ah uh, yes, so I I'm actually teaching. I teach uh, drawing and as well as uh, human anatomy for artists. Yeah. So that's my profession. Uh, recently, I'm uh, handling more administration because I'm in charge of two departments right now, <laughs> overseeing the administrative uh, matters. Yeah, he's a, he's a dean. He's now. The dean. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm an associate dean, not really a full dean yet, but associate dean helping out with more of the paperwork. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Galvin, I have to, I, I have to ask. I'm super curious. What's the name of the university? Okay, there's a school is a base in Redmond, Washington State. It's called DigiPen Institute of Technology. Oh, okay. So they're actually known as the they are actually they have a they have a nickname. They call them the Nintendo School because uh, they do game <laughs> design and uh, computer science uh, and basically it's just um, to help to you know train the talent um, for the games industry. So they are strategically the parent campus is strategically located in Redmond, uh, Redmond, Washington State, and in the vicinity you have Boeing, Microsoft, and all the all the game companies are there. Yep. So I am actually in the branch campus in Singapore. So they have a branch campus here. So that's where I teach. I was asking because about uh, about twenty five years ago. I spent three weeks in Singapore, and the customer that I was there to 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 help, which kind of surprisingly maybe was I was there to help them get their 3D printing equipment working correctly and wow. it was it's a it's a university there in Singapore but uh I can't remember the name of the campus but anyway that's why I was curious so if it's so if it's 25 years ago there are probably only two main uh, universities there's the National University of Singapore and another one is the Nanyang Technological Institute. That's what it was. Yeah, that, it was yeah, that one. Correct, Nanyang. Yeah, it was. It was that yeah, one. I, rem Nanyang. I remember. I stayed downtown, and I had to ride the train out there every day, and it was just Whoa, a super it's a long ride. Yeah, it, but it was a it, it was a super cool experience for a young guy, you know, as an engineer. And the thing I remember the most about Singapore, though, is the food. Oh my goodness! Oh. <laughs> you, you, gotta, you I'm, I'm always trying to get Taysom to come over. I still t I still tell people about the chili crab and the pepper crab. Yep. Oh, sounds good. Yeah, you know uh, when 
Calvin and I get together, we don't talk about modeling. We, we don't talk about <laughs> figures or paint, sculpting or painting, nothing. We talk. He talks about food. I talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a it's a way to man's heart is through his stomach. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, through through the, the liver. <laughs> <laughs> Taysung, you li- you literally you live in New Jersey. Yeah, I live right next to Manhattan in the Hudson River. Okay. Across the George Washington Bridge from Manhattan, I'm right there. Well, you're like neighbors with our buddy Brian Dinklow then. Oh right. Yeah. Adrian Davis. Yep. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> get on with some questions, and we've got some usable interview before you fall asleep. Uh, Calvin, I wanted to ask you, why do you concentrate on military miniatures? Have you ever thought about, or have you ever been tempted to try out fantasy or a different genre? Um, for for me, right, um, what draws me to military figures is basically the is history. I'm I'm just a history mm. buff. So if you ask me, um, if you ask me, uh, I'm more of a I, I would identify myself more as a history buff that models rather than a modeler who models, uh, you know, historical miniature. Mm. You know, so that's why for me, like when, before I start on any figure, right, I always need to make sure that I, I, can, I, I need to imagine what's the context of a particular figure. And that is sort of, that, that sets the, the direction in terms of how I'm going to, you know, decide on what paints to use and how am I going to like sort of base it, so on and so forth. Yeah. So that is sort of my anchor, uh, my sort of uh, beacon. Hmm. So the the problem is sometimes I find that uh, if you work with fantasy, it's like you know you are you are um, that's I mean I, I I dabbled a bit that's when my younger days, uh, but mainly when I'm doing fantasy, it's like you know the mood changes as the as the day as the project progresses, because there's no uh, guiding direction in terms of that it's all about fancy mm. so what you might find fanciful today you might have a different feeling tomorrow and it changes altogether so that's probably one of the reasons why i sort of don't complete any of the fantasy f- figures in in uh, when i was a bit younger when i was dabbling on it younger yeah but gradually when you're working with historical figures right you are working with references and research so you have a for me it's actually i have a very clear idea in terms of what i want to represent so in that stance, right, there is sort of a security and reassurance for me, at least as I work, uh, when, when I work on the historical figures. Right? A structure that you can kind of rely on. Yes, correct. There's a structure there, exactly. Yeah. So the, the, thing is about, the thing about the fun part, as I think most of us, as if you're working with historical uh, subjects, is the fun part is actually the research, you know, getting to know more about it, you know. And, and and you learn so much, and and that is that itself is actually quite a very very rewarding and very a very very rewarding experience. I yeah, I, when I was studying art, I remember vividly we, we were talking about um, Japanese uh, woodblock prints, the ukiyo-e. The yes. um, the form had so many rules that it actually helped some of the artists be more creative because you've got all those constrictions. Correct. That it helps. It gives you kind of that groundwork then that you can really push against, and, and exactly you can subvert them when you want to uh, to get the the effect you want. I think creativity can work many ways. You can work like within some people work w- without boundaries, but creativity can also be you know be unleashed when people work with limitations as well. So when you like talk about you know reinventing a subject, how do you reinvent it? How do you redefine it? And that itself is also a challenge, right? <laughs> 
Uh, you certainly worked with some restrictions when you took those old Tamiya figures. Oh, yeah. And upgraded those and updated those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the German soldiers at rest. I mean, I, for, for me, right, it's a, it's a part, part of it is actually nostalgia. Because um, what, what, what sort of spurred me to, um, to, to, to build those figures is that I was actually tidying up uh, some of my stuff. I was retrieving some of my old stuff from my mom's place. So I sort of stumbled onto them and thought, hey, maybe let's give this a spin <laughs> and see what we can get out of it. You know? it's, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not really reinventing the wheel, but you know, redefining in terms of what can be done with old figures. Because um, that particular set, um, I remembered, uh, the, the sculpting was, was so much better than all, any of the other Tamiya figures that came out before or even after. So the, 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 the sculpts, right, the, the, the anatomy was good, the proportions were great. So that itself is a very, it's a very timeless, uh, the, the quality of the piece is actually timeless. And yeah, it's almost like Roger Saunders sculpts, you know. If you ask me, yes, I. It, it, yeah. If I understand correctly, that that figure set was actually sculpted by an uh, American um, sculptor. Was it American sculptor? Yeah. Was it? So. Yeah. I, I I know I know the box art was done by Rick Collins, and it was I think the uh, the, Jap- the Japanese right. They that was the only foreign uh, artist that has ever illustrated. For, I think for for Tamiya up to that point in time. Most of the box arts were done, you know, by the Japanese. But that uh, was done by Rick Scollins. Hmm. Well, who's sculpting the, the new figures? Do you guys know? Because their their new figures are actually much better. They are, they're not sculpted. They are all scanned. Oh, they are? They're 3D scanned. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Actually, uh, a lot of listeners won't know, but there's a few famous modelers whose faces are in Tamiya boxes now, aren't there? Like, uh... Yeah. Uh, Sven Spinch, uh, I believe uh, Tony Canifora. Um, I think, uh, I think that was in the uh, the uh, the Viermark uh, tank crew set, and I think the one year they were at Sijoka and uh, Tamiya invited them over and they made scans of their faces, <laughs> so it's in their database. So once in a while you'll see their faces uh, sort of you know popping up in some of the figure sets. Immortalized in story. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Tasted your far more traditional all your stuff is hand sculpted right most of them i mean i i i do manual sculpting but i do work with uh other sculptors they you know they do uh, 3d rendering about 90 percent of our pine range is there there are manually sculpted 10 percent uh digitally uh, rendered why have you stuck with hand sculpting what is it you like about it over 3d uh it's the experience is more satisfying I, I, what I touch in my, my fingertips is what I get and touching it, you know, you know, have, have engineered the parts and put them back together and all that, all that kind of experience is more satisfying to me. But I, you know, I can't, cannot compare because I haven't done any, uh, uh, 3D rendering myself. So, you know, how'd you sculpt a figure? How'd you start? How did I start? Um, I would, you know, I was I was an armor modeler. I, I used to make, you know, tank, and I um I entered a competition. I went to win a gold medal. So I was trying to figure out what can I do. That, you know, it's all same tanks. 
right? And back in the days, they, you know, all the figures were same, but, you know, basically they were Berlindon or Warriors figure. So I, want, I wanted to make my own figure to make it a little, you know, a little diff, different. So that's how I start converting and sculpting my own figures. So are you, are, are you just completely self-taught? I, I mean, I was, I've been curious how you learned to do that. I mean, I did go to art school, but uh, I didn't study sculpting. Drink, yeah. drink. Everybody drink. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a self-taught. And then I was looking at this uh, Japanese magazine called Ar- Armor Modeling. Yeah. And uh, there was an, this old article by uh, this modeler named Doi. Masahiro oh. Doi. Yeah, yeah Masahiro Doi. Uh, he showed how to make a you know a mannequin, how to sculpt, the basic uh, way of sculpting, and then I figure out late you know that later down the line how to uh, separate the parts like arms, head, and stuff like that. But, you know, self you know self taught. Jason, do you use um, do you use a an actual model, a person that? you have them in the pose that you want and then take photos from different uh, sides? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, had, I asked my wife to take picture of me. Yeah. You know, and to get that certain kind of folds and wrinkles and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah the, the anatomy of your figures has always been great, but it's also the just the body language um, and the proportions. And, you know, there are a lot of people producing figures using 3d now um and you can still see the same problems that you saw with people's hand sculpts back in the day where their anatomy is not good or or they're they're too stiff and there's not good body language i think it it depends on the sculptor i mean if you don't see on 3d uh you know computer screen you're not going to see it you know in person yeah right so um it depends on the sculptor. I don't think it's the tool; it's the person using it that determines whether it's yeah, good or not, sure. isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. I would say I, I do agree. It's the man that makes the sculpt. Yeah, I mean, so uh, at, at the end, yeah, it, at the end of the day, I believe it's the sensibility of the individual artist. You know, it doesn't really matter what tool. Right. Everybody has their signature style, you know, and and if um, the sometimes right, it's uh, it's you, you can't really hide that. <laughs> it often reveals mm. itself. You could tell an alpine miniature, I think, when you see it. It's got a very distinctive style. And I think not only alpine, but more like Taesung sculpt. Mm. And you can you can you can distinguish between Taesung sculpts and uh, John Rosengrand sculpts. Yeah, but that's mm. kind of funny because my when I was starting alpine, my goal was to have no style as a style. <laughs> I don't I don't want to sound like Bruce Lee here, but you know just. Uh, you want you want to be like water, but uh, you know I I didn't want to ha- I didn't want to have any styles, you know. Uh, but when you make things you know with your hands, I guess you know you can't help you know you develop a certain type of style. I guess. But I'm but, curious. I, I'm curious though. Why did you not want to have a style? I mean, I think I feel like most artists like that's that's one of their goals is to develop their own style and have that be recognized. Right. Um, I thought it was unrealistic uh, you, that, that I would end up uh, with uh, unrealistic details or uh, uh, same same 
let's say same folds, you know, repeated over and over. So that's why I didn't want to have a style. I think your style though comes from how you see the world and how you see things more than it, you know, more than anything. And you can't change the way you see. Well, you can, I suppose, by training and right, working at it. Right, but. Right. And also, the, the you know, I'm right-handed, so the way I hold the tool, you know, mm. to make, you know, left, you know, left-hand side and then right-hand side, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, you know, I end up, I guess, having that style from that kind of, uh, like a physical uh, movement of my hands. But also, you're, you know, over time, I'm sure you develop such familiarity with the tools that you're unconsciously um, the way you work kind of comes through with the with the way you handle your tools too. Yes, that, and, and I, you know, especially I, I make my own tools. Let me show you. These are the tools that I make, and they have all same length. And the way the weight of the this hollow tube, plastic tube, the length, it's. It's perfect for me, or, or you know, I got used to this. Mm, if I yeah. if I try to use other tools, I can't. I can't. It's so uncomfortable, right? And uh, with these tools, over the years, I developed, I guess, a style, my style. Yeah. So how how long into the process of sculpting um, were you before you actually kind of felt like? Oh, I know what I'm doing now. Like I, I kind of get it. This is a little easier than it was before, and there was what was the learning curve like? I guess. I, I mean, it gets never easy. I mean, it's you know every figure I, I struggle. Do you struggle because because you present yourself with challenges? Sometimes you know I, you know I, I'm making a you know same pose, same same uniform, but sometimes it, you know things come easily sometimes they don't yeah. I, I don't know what it is it's just you know it's not the same every time you know yeah and, and i um i found that the sculpting is not something that um that i could you know repeat exactly the same over and over because maybe that's because i you know sculpt with my hands but they're never the same so it's you know it's never easy well sometimes you just get into a flow state and everything seems to come to you. And then there's days or projects where it seems like everything is just a fight. Yeah. We've all, I think we've all experienced that. Right. And, and some, sometimes, you know, I, sometimes I just don't want to what, sculpt, you know. <laughs> and it's hard to, you know, sit down and you know, just work for hours. And sometimes it's so easy, you know. Like I can't wait to sculpt sometimes and then everything flows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To be honest, it sounds like any creative endeavor. Sometimes, yeah, it is easy and, you know, you've got a fully realized vision and, and it's just like you have to let your hands make it. And sometimes you have to find it and you have to push it. I think perhaps if you were doing it easily every time, perhaps it would be too formulaic, too, you know, mechanical, mechanical too, it, like, yeah. uh, too much like work, just sitting yeah. at a production line. Well, there's, there's highs and lows, right? You know, the, the lows make you appreciate the highs more. Um so if it was all just uh, monotony, then there'd be nothing to appreciate. You know, you, you get bored, I think. Right. And, and sometimes it's great to uh, see like a classic, you know, 
sculptures, like like you know Berenini's sculpt, you know sculptures, you know, and it, you know you get inspired from from looking at all this classic work. And that helps. Too. You know, last year I was in Rome and and I you know I got the chance to look at you know Berenini's sculpture and then other you know famous sculptures and they were like, wow. The, the Baroque sculptures, yeah, very detailed. <laughs> right, right. You know, I gotta do something about my sculpting skills. <laughs> <laughs> so you're moving on to marble soon. <laughs> yeah, moving on to marble. I was about to allude to that. Right. <laughs> it's easier in marble. That's what it is. <laughs> it's harder in putty. Which putty do you use, by the way? I use Abe's uh, Apoxy two-part putty, white color. And it's why it is easy for me. It's easier to see. I used to dye the uh, putty with a little bit of black ink, but I don't do that anymore. But it's you know it, it, when it dries, it, it's rock solid, so I could you know shave, I could drill it, you know sand it. You know. It's good stuff, but I get it seems like it's so stiff, and maybe I'm just being a wimp. Is there anything you do to soften it up and make it easier to mix and work? No, or is I, that I just. just... You're just used I, to it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I it's I just, you know, make sure that I mix, you know, half and half, like, you know, exactly. You know, because if, if, if I mess it up, then it's, it's the result is not going to be the same. You know what I mean? It, it turns yellow or whatever. It's, it's not good. But uh, <clears throat> I, I work with a wet putty as, as much as possible. And just let it, just let it dry. You probably go through yours a lot faster than I do. I feel like every time I get mine out, that it's just turned into this lump of. Yeah. yeah. It's just it just it's uh, yeah. It's almost like I, I wish I could buy a brand new tub of it every time I need to use it, but that's like every three years. <laughs> right, so so once it's you know once it's dry, then I come back, shave it, you know, with a blade, and. And add more and repeat this process until I get the result I want. Do you work off of an armature? No, I don't use drawings, armature drawings or a mannequin or nothing like that. Uh, it's because it, human, the, the bone structure is so complicated. It's, you know, like once you shift your weight to your one foot, then it's everything is distorted mm -hmm. it's not it's not like the the drawings that you see you know the, sometimes the one arm looks shorter than the other depends on your you know your posture or your pose that kind of thing so i don't use that i don't use any uh, scale drawings anymore. do you do you build up mass and then let that dry and then up and start applying uh layers to carve and sculpt over that yeah, yeah. Okay. and i and I, I work, I usually work from bottom to up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, so you start with the feet and legs. And yeah, because usually there, there's jacket, they're wearing the jacket usually. So mm -hmm. it's the bottom of the jacket will be over the pants. Top pants, right? right? So you have to sculpt so the I, pants I, first. I, yeah. And then, and I make mm -hmm. the belt. And then I, then I make the jacket. And I finish the arm, the arm, because if it's going to be separate, the arms, 
then I finish every detail and make a clean surface and then make the uh, put the wire in there and then make the arms. You do mostly 135th, uh, but you also do some 116th stuff. Right. Is the 116th stuff popular or does it not sell as well as the 135th? It's not, it's not as popular as 135th. But, um, uh, you know, if with this, you know, new, you know, 116th kits being released, you know, I hope that, you know, those, mm. those, that scale would become more popular. Pick up, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think right now everybody uses the 135th scale in dioramas and, and everything. 116th scale figures, mm. I feel like, are mostly just represented by themselves. Right. And also the the, mm. the money you have to spend to have to, to buy the 116 scale kit, like a tank. And you have to buy resin fig, 116 scale resin fig. That's a lot of money. You know, so... I figure anyone modeling in one sixteenth scale money is probably not the hugest issue <laughs> if they're oh. already buying these <laughs> these uh, toy tanks. Uh, sorry, big tanks. <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble for that. Yeah, you uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people also build they'll they'll buy a one sixteenth scale tank knowing it's going to be a project that's going to occupy a large amount of time for them. So mm. ultimately, if you split the cost of three smaller projects that you could have accomplished during that time. It's about the same. But, but so far I noticed that the 116 scale is for the bigger painters, not for I'm a modeler. Mm-hmm. Mainly. It's mainly for that market. It's a different market. You know, yeah. So far. And then, you know, these new kits, they come with a nice figure in, in, you know, inside the kit. So, well, good enough for a lot of armor modelers, anyway. Yeah, yeah. But again, you get this—you know—it's yep. it's a matter of seeing the same figure with the tank every time you see the tank. You mm. know, like I would want to do something different because everybody else—I know everybody right. else—is going to be doing this, right? Right. Mm. Right. right. We'll see. I, you know, this year I'll probably, you know, make another one sixteen scale, maybe a tank crew like a DAK. Yeah. Mm. yeah, the Tacom uh, Panzer One is yeah, and they have a Panzer Three. Yeah, you know Panzer Four. So, it feels like if I go back sort of twenty years, uh, every diorama I saw at Euro Militaire had a Hornet head on it, and you could recognise which heads they were. Yeah. It was always that guy shouting, "Ah, yeah, that guy." Yeah. But now I kind of feel like as well, it's it's Hornet heads, and quite often your figures. How does it feel to see your figures in the wild? used by modelers do you sometimes look uh, at them and think that's awful my, my figure with the hornet head no your figure i mean uh you know different on its own your figure mm. i mean the I'm, two things are sort of the dominant figure brands in the armor modeling world if you see what i mean but i'm just thankful that they you know they ch- chose my figure to you know for their work you know it's, mm. you know it's, i'm grateful you know for, and i I, I don't even mind seeing my figure with Hornet head on. Yeah. You know? I am tired of seeing that one Hornet head, though. <laughs> yeah, it's just... I mean, look, I'm not an armor modeler, and even I can recognize Hornet heads. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they, they, they just... 
But you know, like like it's a really good point. When I when I look at your work, Taesung, I think one thing that's really cool is that all your all your little guys look different. You know, and I think that's remarkable because you have you have a lot. You have a large population of people in there, and they all and they all look and they they're look, not all related. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, I've seen some work by some really really high level sculptors and scratch builders where they have multiple figures and it's like wow those two guys are brothers you know i mean calvin knows it <laughs> but but you know i there's there's some arpine figures that are like you know brothers and cousins but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it. but uh yeah they, they are from the same gene pool i was just showing calvin uh my new fig the russian tank group figures um what i do is i take take the exist, existing head and I change it. I change the detail, change the nose, change the eyes a little bit, mouth a little bit, it, um, you know, cheekbones a little bit. You know, I don't, I don't make new heads every time. So I'm, I'm curious how, you, like, do you come up with the way that these people look just purely from your own creative vision or do you get inspiration like from do you i mean do you do a google image search do you use movie stars how do you decide who how these people are going to look well first i i i you know i whenever i see good world war ii pictures i download them so uh, i I look through them to get the to get the uh how certain uniform look appear or you know when it's worn you know, because they every uniform has the distinct appearance to it, and the pose it has to be casting friendly, and it's uh, it's it's the pose that that's been you know proven to sell. You know what I mean? Like for instance, like a uh, uh, a tank commander in the in the hatch, that that's a good seller. Yeah, every right? every tank needs a commander, right? Yeah. So that's how I um, come up with this, the pose and the uh, ideas, the uni- which uniform to, you know, to make, that kind of stuff. But what about their facial features? I look at photos, you know, I just Google, yeah. you know, a face of a white guy. And, uh... <laughs> white guy faces. <laughs> Search. You've returned three million pages of results. Ninety <laughs> percent of people in the media. Yeah, yeah and then I, I also look at a lot of you know those uh, German um, for German face, you know, the postcard they sent home, you know that. Mm, the, yeah. Are the real formal ones? The studio shots, they you know, yeah. you know, like a postcard. You know, I look at that a lot. You know, to get this in a young, slim face. You know. That, Actually, that's something I like about your figures. They've got a 1940s build, too, because some figure sculptors, they look kind of buff for the 1940s. I, yeah, I go for the narrow shoulder, you know what I mean? Yeah. Narrow shoulder. Well, they just they, they look like real people as opposed to an idealized mannequin thing. When I was working, uh, when I was sculpting this Japanese figure, Japanese tank crew, I didn't want to make a, this Asian face that... That's like it with the slanted eyes, with the glasses, and you know the caricature, the stereotype. You know, <laughs> so I was looking up the Asian actors, you know, photos. Mm. 
and I was working, you know, off this uh, couple of actors, you know, one Japanese actor and then one uh, Korean actor. It's hard to it's hard to sculpt Asian face or or African face or female face because it's subtle. You know, what I mean, it's just hard to it's hard to get it right without without being offensive. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it harder to draw female features like a female face uh-huh. because it it there's a softness and and a delicacy to it that's really hard to capture when you're drawing, whereas. You gotta capture that subtlety, right? But it's you know, in, in, in this small size it's hard to do that. Yeah. Oh, it's hard I think it's hard in, in almost any medium, really. Uh, you know, in, in this scale, the one especially one thirty fifths, if you put a, a a wrinkle in your face a little bit too strong, then it all of a sudden the figure looks old. <laughs> right? Like you know, the wrinkle next to the nose mm-hmm. right here. If you, if you put a little bit too um, put a, too much pressure, and you know, it's, you know, it's not, it's not twenty year old anymore. You know what I mean? And and what painters would do is they they would accentuate that part, also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then then it's it's even you know it's gonna look even older. Yeah, they're gonna throw a dark wash in there, and suddenly that's gonna yeah, be even yeah. deeper. It's fine if you want Volksturm or something, but if you want you know, young guys fresh to the front right. line then they don't look like that i guess right right and also you know the face sculpting you know i have to i need to make sure it's it's somewhat good looking i know that there's an online there's a lot of people oh they're not they all look like a you know some propaganda uh magazine cover or whatever but like a menswear catalog <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if i make an ugly face they, they don't sell yeah yeah, it might be more realistic, but it's not what people want yeah. to buy. Right. And it, it, people say, oh, it would be interesting to see, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> this this kind of figure, that kind of subject, whatever. But what people say they want and what they buy are not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. Interesting to see, that's one thing. But you gotta you got to get online and hold on. Yeah. It's still different. <laughs> It's like it's like you have to do what they what they do on TV shows where they have all these character actors and they're supposed to represent regular people but they still have to be telegenic still have to be pleasing to look at and I think you've you've captured that oh, thank you I mean I, you know I try <laughs> you know Calvin uh, I just want to make sure we get some questions before you you go to bed because I know it's very late for you. Hey, no so, problem. No problem. Yeah. Uh, you appeared in the late uh, the second volume of Models for Ukraine. You did a really great job on a mini art figure, which is not as easy to oh, work thank with you as, very much. Uh, as one of Tazen's figures, uh, which was one of the Ukrainian tank crew at rest. But there were some really yep. interesting things in your process. Can you describe how you, you currently how you go about painting a figure? Well, for me, I've uh, I've um, I've not used the uh, black undercoats anymore, so I've stopped that. So what I'm using right now is I'm using um, I'm actually hand painting what they call the I'm using a flat base uh, smooth. This is from the uh, from Gunzi. So I'm just slathering it just over the the figure. So the main thing is that uh, what I'm using that my my technique has evolved. Um, I'm actually using much thinner paint right now. Uh, I'm, I'm working with washes more than actually applying opaque uh, quite layers of paint. 
So the if you look at the article that I've written for the models for Ukraine, I started off with a flat undercoat, flat base undercoat, or in that case, is a is a flat varnish. And that what it does is that a it's lacquer base, so it provides a very very uh, what do you call that strong base for the subsequent paints to adhere to. And on top of it, it's actually very porous, so it actually absorbs um, the the paint. Hmm. So that's how I sort of and that's how I reduce the uh, what do you call that the build up of paint. So it's actually more to do with I, I mean I work with a lot of washes subsequently, yeah. So and the thing is that uh, when you when you control the layers of paint, uh, what it does is that it, it gives you a much smoother finish because you don't have to struggle too much in terms of the brush strokes. So how many because the 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 flat that you're applying is a little bit porous, how many how many times do you have to go over an area with the thin paint before you get the result that you're kind of looking for? Is it is it more so what I do is that I, I, I work like watercolors. So I'll start off first maybe with a slightly darker tone. Not really, so I just, I just apply layers. So what I do is that I allow the paint to build up and I use the opacity to create the shadows. Mm-hmm. So it's actually it's almost like, a, you know, so when you thin the paint down, it becomes like a milk, you thin the paint down to a milk-like consistency. And then you sort of like, you know, flood the surface. And when you start to flood the surface, right, uh, what happens is that you notice that the, the thick, the, some of the paint will pull uh, towards the, the, the deeper recesses. And that sort of gives it, uh, that creates like uh, the, the shadows. So it's almost like applying paint washes right. onto a surface to accentuate the shadows. So instead of applying a flat, uh, what they call solid opaque paint, I just use washes. And um, I'm using, and if, let's say if, the, plast- if the, the resin, for example, it's actually pretty light. So I'm actually um, using the color of the resin or the plastic as a as a base to reflect the highlights. Yeah, I'm I'm understanding that now. Yep. So I'm actually that, and that's why for me, right? I'm actually um, I'm actually working faster as a result. So right now, my with my current speed, I can like get a figure out in probably in about a week. It used to take about two weeks, <laughs> so I can. So if I really want to get to figure out, I can get it out in the, in two weeks. I mean, in, in a week now. <laughs> you just use acrylics, right? Yes, acrylics. It sounds like you're uh, what you've kind of tailored your style to take advantage of the things that are problematic. You know, like with with uh, any of the base colors showing through, a highlight would normally be problematic, and with the darker pooling against. Uh, in the deeper areas would be problematic for a lot of painters. But if you're using, you're using those disadvantages and turning them into advantages in, in the way you're painting. Correct. So for me, right. Um, the, the way I look at it, the way I see it, you know, color is color. It doesn't matter if it's plastic metal, it's color is just color. So even like say, for example, um, if you recall Francois Verlinden, you know, when he first painted, uh, you know, when the, his, his flesh tones, when he first re- released the re- resin figures, I know he didn't even prime the, the faces, right? He was using the color of the resin as a base and then applying what he called the oil paints over and then wiping them out and then sort of use the color of the resin to get, get acquire the highlights or the mid-tones. 
So in a very similar fashion, I'm actually adopting that uh, that 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 technique, that approach. Hmm. So so if you're looking at let's say for example, if the plastic shows through, and the thing is that it doesn't come across as so conspicuous as plastic because of the flat the uh, of the matte varnish. The matte varnish goes over and it creates mm. a chalky, porous surface. And uh, you might you 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 will not think that is actually the plastic or the resin showing through. So subsequently, when you sort of apply washes over the that that layer uh, of uh, of varnish, you allow the varnish to sort of absorb the the paint. And another another method of I've, I've swapped out. Um, I'm not I'm not using water now to thin my paints. I'm actually using thinner, acrylic thinner, to thin my paints. So the thing is that uh, for the acrylic thinner, it contains alcohol, and that uh, helps to omit all. Uh, omit any watermarks. So I'm actually basically just uh, remove watermarks from the equation of my painting. You're, you've just become extremely streamlined and efficient. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's Asia for you. <laughs> <laughs> Time poor, skill rich. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he cut down the, the, the time that he spends on painting figures, uh, you know, dramatically over the years. Yeah. Right, that he he it used to take him what like two weeks to paint two figures for me. Two weeks, yep. And now and that's on the, that's on the fastest. Yeah, now now he's he could do it under under a week, you know. So he's the dean now. He's got other things to do. He's got paperwork. <laughs> I have to I have to streamline and it's, yeah. So I, I'm I'm super paying attention because I'm a terrible figure painter. So every time we have one of you rock stars on, I really try and pick up something important. And and what I'm hearing you say is that so there's a lot of guys like like Uncle Nightshift, our our buddy Martin. He does this thing where he does what they call zenithal priming, where he sprays the whole thing black and then he sprays from above. Yep to catch the highlights and then he's using glazes it sounds like you are and that's pretty efficient but what i've never liked about that is that it leaves the shadows looking kind of muddy like you don't really get the color and it sounds like what Correct. you're doing is you're everything is kind of a gray tone or a white tone or whatever yes. and so in the shadows you just get a deeper buildup of the color and so you don't get that muddy look is that right um, no, that, okay, yes, correct. Yes, and also the thing is that um, my technique is actually much closer to uh, watercolors. Yeah. Because with watercolors, you're actually using the white of the paper, and what you're doing is just applying, mm. you're dyeing, basically applying dyes with the watercolor paint onto the paper. So the paper itself is white, so it does reflect the color. You get a much purer and richer hue yeah, with that's, the paper that's... with watercolors. Yeah. yeah, that makes total sense to me because like that yeah. when, I, when so, I'm working with oils, I like to put them on a sheet of white matte photo paper because I can see yeah. the color much better than you can on a piece of like brown cardboard. Or, Correct. So, so that makes perfect sense to me. But the other thing that is really interesting is that you're talking about using alcohol or an alcohol-based thinner instead of water. Thinner. Correct. Is, it, is that because yes. the the... the the flat varnish that you're applying, that's that's a Guns lacquer, right? Yes, Guns lacquer. So the alcohol kind of etches into that in a way. Yes. 
So basically, right, if you think about it, I'm actually using, I'm actually converting the acrylic paint into almost, I'm, I'm actually endowing, think of it as endowing the acrylic paints with enamel paint-like quality. So if you were to tint, so if you're familiar with humbrols and you, and you love the flow and consistency of humbrol, don't uh, tint your acrylic paints with water because water will beat and you will not get the, the, the paint to flow easily into the recesses. So by using the acrylic thinner, all right, uh, you, and you effectively when you've thinned it down and it, it basically flows like enamel. Or oil. So something, something and, about the thinner and, also yeah. uh, deals with the surface tension, doesn't it? Yeah, Correct. Yeah, there's alcohol. no surface tension. Yeah, there's different. no beading. Yes. And the thing is that it spreads exactly like uh, white mineral spirits. I have a So question. that's a hack. Yes. Which thinner? Uh, for me, I'm using AK paints now. So I'm using the AK acrylic thinner. I've not okay. tried any other brands. So the alcohol yeah. content so the, of it is actually very low. So we're not talking like using 90% IPA. So this is this is the one I'm using right now. That's the AK thinner. Mm. So if, if you were to sort of thin the, your... So it's actually formulated for airbrushing, yeah. but I'm actually using it for hand painting. But the alcohol in it is actually very low, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, it's not like uh, Tamiya thinner or something. No, no, it doesn't. So it's not corrosive. Mm. So you can sort of build up layers without stripping the previous layer that has dried. Right. That was my next question: was how you keep it from reactivating what you've already done. So that that's yes. So as long as the base, right? So main thing, the the hack is basically right to use the the Gunzi uh, flat base and use this as what you call it a primer, uh, a tooth. For the paint to go on, so mm. usually most people they will use uh, what you call that surface, Mister Surfacer One Thousand mm. or Thousand Five. But with the problem with lacquer paints is that they uh, they sometimes dry, they, they cure to a satin finish, especially with the finer surfaces. Mm. So that's why I sort of swap it up using the, uh, the 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 matte varnish instead. So as I'm using either I'm using Mister Color here for small parts, or I'm actually using uh, let's. Right, uh, this is the Mr. Super Clear. That's a spray can. Mm. So if I'm dealing with, let's say, if a larger, um, basically, a, maybe like a like one ninth scale bust, I'll probably use a spray can. That's especially for, true yeah. if you if you thin your Mr. Surfacer with Mr. Leveling thinner, like a lot of model makers Correct. do. You get that really yep. smooth finish. Interesting yes. stuff. I, I would assume yeah. the the paint doesn't stay where you want it to because it, the surface is very slippery. With yes, if it's set, if it's satin, if the surface yeah. is satin, but with matte paint, it's it's a it's it it gives it uh, give it gives it gives the surface a more porous quality. Well, going back to your watercolor analogy, it's like using yep. watercolor paper. So, right, yes, and watercolor paper is actually porous. So, as yeah. I said, it, this method works. This is my current method of working, mm. and it's uh, it halves my working time. So it doesn't sit on it; it absorbs it slightly. Yes, you you are, you are actually in a sense, right? You are actually staining mm. the matte varnish mm -hmm. with the paint, and and you save a lot of paint too. <laughs> Drifty, you don't, you don't, you don't. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an Asian thing. Right? <laughs> I've seen the price of AK in Singapore. You're a wise man. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> we are a frugal bunch. Are you using the new AK 
third with third generation paints. Uh, yes, uh, this uh, the Gen three paints. Yep. Okay. I didn't like this. I didn't like the previous edition, but this one's pretty good because they dry reliably matte, and that's why it agrees with uh, my my current painting technique. I find they have a neat as well. They have a very nice creamy texture. There's this good quality kind yep. of pigment very and very um, buttery. There's a very nice uh, buttery yeah. texture. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for both of you actually. Which part of the process do you struggle with the most? Which part gives you still the most grief? When you're doing a project, lately it's it's been the, the finishing stage where where I you know I have to put all the small details like buttons. Eighty percent, it's about eighty percent there, right? Yeah. <laughs> when you're about eight, yeah, that's that's the hardest part for me too. When when you know like a project is like going very well and you you can almost see the finishing line and that's where you start to like you know yeah. falter. Right. And, and and that's and that's what happened to the 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 the, the US Ranger figure. It's like <laughs> almost like eighty percent there, and suddenly it's like, right? Yeah. Is that because you find it hard, or is because the enthusiasm drops off, or uh, that too? I think. Yes. I yeah. Think, uh, but you know, to make small details, you know, I I mix small amount of putty, right? That process, you know, when I'm working on a large area, you know, I, I make, I, you know, I mix, you know, big chunk of putty and I work on it. And then and when I have to make small details, I have to make small, you know, piece of putty. And that's, um, that's the part that I, ah, oh, you know, I'd rather just shave or, you know, use my tools, you know, it's better spend my time doing that than mixing it and then putting, you know, make the small details put it in the crock pot wait until dry you know this it's it's all that process but you know shorter but i have to repeat it over and over and over to make all these small details because uh, i have to work little by little because it's you know i don't want to touch the area that i just worked on mm. right so yeah so, you don't want to make something nice and then squash it with your thumb while you do it right like right so especially like small like you know markings on the head in the headgear or whatever so um that process is more tedious you know what i mean i i find that that, that at that stage it gets it gets very mundane yeah there's no excitement like the initial where like you see it you know you, you, there's like excitement when you see all the big parts falling in together and and you you know that you can complete it but at the same time you know you don't want to ruin it right <laughs> And, and and that's where and that's where you know the enthusiasm and together with the enthusiasm, it sorts of you know it, it sort of tapers off a bit. Right. Yeah. For instance, I was making this Russian tank crew. You know, the whole body, uniform, everything went faster than I expected. And then it's when it's time to make that the Russian tanker's uh, headgear. Yeah. The tanker's helmet, the Russian. The, yep. The, that is like ah, oh, you know, there's so much detail in there, you know. So, yep, the paddings and the, the, yeah. the flaps, yeah, it took me and the buckles, uh, yeah. yeah, and and the second head, I, I put goggles on the second head, and the goggles, oh, okay, the 135 <laughs> scale, it's ah, man, I have to do this again. <laughs> do, do, you, do you make castings of the goggles? No, I don't, I just make new goggles every time. First. Oh, yeah, I carve them actually. It's it's not it's, it's it's troublesome because you have to get them symmetrical and there's always the the lining around the 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 lenses yeah the frames around the lenses there yeah 
I don't measure either. I don't. I, I don't measure, yeah. measure the left goggle and right goggle. You know, I don't do that. It's, it's really I, I eyeball it. Yeah. <laughs> but thing is, you you, you <laughs> make the goggle, you make a little you know little edge in at the rim around the goggle, and then yeah, correct, yeah. Then the strap, and there's a little buckle there, and you know, all this. Yeah, you know, but the buckle is pretty annoying. Yeah. All the <laughs> to to model. Well, I saw recently, Calvin, where you made uh, sort of epoxy strap and then threaded it through a yep. photo etched buckle and then attached it to the rifle. I mean, you're, you're making your own problems here, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> for, for me right now, the, my, my I, I work with black milliput because I, I find that um, it's, um, it's, it's easier to, to, to roll out. It's much smoother. So what I do is that um, for straps and buckles, uh, no, for, mainly for straps, what I do for straps is that I'll, I, I will roll it out like pasta until I get it very nice and thin. And once, once, uh, once it's rolled out, what I'll do is that I'll give both sides, uh, what do you call, I, I paint, uh, paint uh, I'll apply a thin layer of acrylic paint over both sides. Now that will prevent the, um, the putty from actually sticking to the fingers. And from there, I can sort of like cut, cut it like linguine, so I get strips. And the thing about uh, the applying a layer of um, acrylic paint over is that it it, it it forms a skin that prevents the uh, that that actually um, you know allows the putty to have more integrity, so it doesn't really break up when you handle it. Oh, okay. So I will sort of like pre-paint. I will pre-paint the uh, the straps before actually attaching onto the the the, the rifle or to onto the body. With white glue, with PVA glue. Hmm. Yep, that's my that's my hack. That's a good hack. <laughs> I hope people are taking notes. Yep. I'll be doing that. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, no, but but the thing is that if you're working with uh, with putty, the thing is that why why I've sort of you know for my rifle slings, I still use epoxy putty because um, unlike paper or lead foil, you you know putty can represent gravity. Hmm. I mean, there's no other medium that could represent gravity better than actually using putty. You know, so the main thing about straps is that they have to have the sack has to appear natural, and I mean I've tried other methods of using paper or even pl- plastic paper, plat paper, they they don't really work as well as epoxy putty because the putty's got enough mass to actually hang. To to fall, yeah, to hang exactly, yeah. exactly. Is this the same method you use for uh, for boot laces? Yes, <laughs> but for boot laces, what I do is I roll it until it's like very thin, like sausages, yeah. very very thin sausages, and uh, I sort of and, um, and I attach them using uh, white yeah. glue, uh, PVA glue. Yeah. So spaghetti rather than linguine. <laughs> yeah, spaghetti. Uh, yeah. Calvin does like <laughs> Angel <food>. hand. Yeah. <laughs> Are you gluing them on there while the putty is still pliable? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that's. So you, so what I do is that, for example, for laces, I would sort of, you know, um, I would run, uh, what do you call that, long strands across. And so before it dries, I would sort of trim the edges. So the main, the main thing is to allow the putty to adhere to the surface. And that's the annoying thing about the working epoxy putty, is that it sticks to the brush more than it sticks to the surface. <laughs> or you, or the knife, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Do you use flour or anything like that to make it not sticky? Talcum powder. Talc. Talcum powder, okay. Uh, talc, talc, talc. 
So once you roll it out flat, like pasta, so you use, uh, you use, uh, you use a talc to sort of, you know, detect it and you can sort of roll it very thin. And after that, right, after, immediately after, I'll give both sides a, what do you call that, a, a thin, uh, apply a thin layer of acrylic paint on both sides. And I said that would make it, you know, that would, that would allow it to sort of, you know, as I said, detect it and also at the same time, give the party more integrity. I'm stealing that for sure. Yeah. So do you do that while it's still on the bench yeah. before you yes, attach it? Yes. To the... Well, it's still soft. So oh, yeah, it's still soft. That is a powerful. So hack. you don't you don't let you don't you don't let the party hard up. So so the, don't let the party firm up at all. So immediately That's after all. after you combine the A and B components together, you knead it, you roll it out, and then once after you roll it up. Now if then you start painting over. Because because epoxy party essentially is water based, so it will accept the acrylic paint. So you paint it while it's still soft, and then you stick yes, exactly. it to the, to the thing and shape it. Yeah, you can even paint it. Yeah. So the, so there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities because imagine seat belts. <laughs> that's yeah. one area of deployment. Wow, Calvin. So Calvin, you, you think about a lot of things when you're, when you're working on figures. Of course, man. I, I, I've got like box arts to complete. <laughs> efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. In, in record time. Yeah. I mean, when I sculpt, I, I don't think about anything. I just, you know. I, I'm, I'm always thinking about how I can shortcut the process, man. <laughs> so so when, I, when I make the, the boot lace, I, I just carve it. Wow, that's, that's tough. Yeah, that's so. So for me, what I do is that I, I, I don't. What I do is that for boot lasers, I'll, I would, I will, I will, I will model the boot lasers uh, while I'm painting it. So for me, my philosophy is that I'm, I'm using actually black milliput. So it's in. So basically, it's not so conspicuous. Mm-hmm. If you use regular color milliput, right, it's going to turn cloudy when you add water to it. Uh, especially when it starts to run, especially in Maypool, because when you add too much water, it gets very muddy and starts to run, and you get a lot of you know white specks over the surface. But with black milliput, when it gets runny, it looks like a wash. <laughs> so it's not so conspicuous. It looks appears like a black wash. So it, it sort of hides itself. You, I mean, to the naked eye, you wouldn't know what's a, You will not be able to identify. You will not be able to pick up the difference between black paint or black milliput. <laughs> Okay. Yep. So you mentioned something about putting a figure in a crock pot. Let's we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. talk about yeah. that. I thought that was uh, I thought that was a metaphor. You know, to, to, uh, to dry the putty, you, you know, uh, rock solid. I have to put heat on it. So you you put it in a, 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 in a, a whenever you're finished sculpting what you're sculpting. Put it in a crock pot on high for how long? Like, what's your recipe? <laughs> uh, uh, there's only uh, two stages. So uh, the, the lower stage. Yeah. And um, I, I let it dry for, uh, for like, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and it's, it's rock solid. When do you add the onions and the carrots? On <laughs> <laughs> uh, the stock. Right. <laughs> You know, I carve a lot, so you know, shave and carve a lot, so it, it it's perfect for you know when it's rock solid, and then mm. you take the fresh uh, blade and you you sh- start shaving, and it's 
feels good. It's a very satisfying yeah. feeling. You can tell. Look, yeah. You just you just yeah. described that, and your face lit up. You're like, yeah. yeah. I love that carving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for English listeners. A crock pot is that a slow cooker? Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Okay. Slow cooker. Yeah, that's a slow cooker. Yeah. Okay. Once it's dried and I shave and then uh, carve and add more put- wet putty on it on top of mm-hmm. it. You know, to get so it's the layering. It's yeah, the layering. Yeah, because uh, you know, it's, you know, you know, I have to have the proper volume. You know, detail is not that important unless you have the volume, the correct volume. Yeah. Like the sleeve is, make sure the you know, both arms are same, have the same volume to it. You know that kind of stuff. You know, so I uh, work on that first, and then um, put details on it. So. Drying in a crock pot, take it out and look at it. I spend more time looking at the figure than actually working on. So look at the figure, make sure the volume's right, and pose and the posture's you know correct, the balance, and then work on the small details. And I'm working on the wrinkles and folds. Even though you, you're working from the photograph, you can't really make it exactly the same. Mm. You, have, you just have to suggest because we all know how you know leather or wool they, they wrinkle up so you just have to s- suggest it I, this uniform is made of wool or leather to mimic it you know I mean, you can't really make it exactly the same as what I see in a photo but you have to create um, that feel yeah once you've got the form built uh, properly then do you take it out of the crock pot for like the more the folds and, and sleeves and things like that that have a little more volume, are you adding that to it, or have you built the form up to a point where you're carving away to form those? Okay, so let's say let's say I'm working on the arm and I I put putty and make sure there's a you know enough volume, so a little bit more than than I, than necessary so that later I could come you know come back and and carve. Okay, and if I carve too much, then I add a little more. Yeah. You know, but but you're primarily you know. carving away rather than building up. Uh, once you reach a certain point, yes, yes. Also, carving helps helps with the you know cleaning up the surface too. Hmm. Okay. You know, basically, you know, these figures are three D canvas. You know, I'm I'm making a surface for for brushwork, right? So I have to make I have to pay attention to the surface quality. I've always wondered how do you. This is a real newbie question for people sculpting. You guys will, half the listeners will know it already. But how do you blend in when you add putty to put on a crease or something? How do you blend it in? Because when I add putty to something, you could always see where it's been added. There's like an outline of the in. Yeah. So when I have a wet putty and I use a rubber tip uh, brush or a little thicker round tool like this to, and, and then just roll it. You know, roll the, the, like a rolling pin with my fingertip like this, and put pressure, slight, you know, slight pressure. What's the what are what are the the tools that you just held up? Not the silicone brush, but the no the the other tool, the one that you've made. Oh, this is the I, I made it with the brass tip and a plastic rod. Uh, uh, it's a hollow hollow rod. So do you have to keep the brass wet, or does it not stick to? I go, I go like this. Well, I, use I, your... I run from my nose, or uh, you know, actually, uh, <laughs> I I use uh, I use lotion. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah. It, it puts know. a lotion on its tool or else it... <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we shocked Calvin. He's gone again. Yeah, actually, sometimes uh, you know, I walk, yeah. walk outside with the... Because I put lotion on my on my left thumb. Yeah. So so that when I work on it, I could just dip the, dip the tip of the tool in the lotion, right? Right. And I, sometimes I walk out outside uh, with with the white lotion all over my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I so totally forgot about it. It's not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> it's suggestive of something else, I think. People don't right. want to shake your hand then. <laughs> All right. So, um, sculpting, uh, I've, I've been sculpting figures and working with, uh, with Calvin since 2004. His style's been changed. Like he, he mentioned that he stopped using the the black uh, undercoats mm. many years ago, and I noticed. Uh, no, that just too. recently. I think probably last year, just beginning, like just last year, beginning of last year. Yep. Yeah, so, and and I need. I I want to see the, the 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 newer figures in person because when I saw Calvin's figure uh, that was done with the black undercoat in a years back. It had a certain look to it. Mm. Um, appear like the com- compared to other figures done by other artists. You know, they're on the on the competition table. Remember, uh, at, um, in Boston, the World oh, Expo. Oh yeah, correct. Yep. Yeah. And it had that dark look to it compared to other, like compared to let's say Jama's figure. It, it yeah. had a little darker appearance to it in, in person. But you don't see that in photographs. Right? It's the photography. But I yes. see, yeah, I want to. I want to see your figure now, like your <laughs> recent figure, and how how the you know if, if the new figures would still have that that dark appearance or or or, or if the colors have a little know. more saturation now that they're not sitting on top of black. Yep. Right. Or maybe more luminosity now. More what? Now? Uh, that's the word. I'm trying to luminosity, go for more luminosity. Kind of glow yes, almost. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Because black is almost like a as a black hole. Yeah. It sort of sucks the color. So yeah. that's why the white overspray is necessary. But even with the white overspray, you'd still get a grayish white because black still is like a succubus, it sort of absorbs the color. So you're losing a lot of chroma. Yeah. With with with, with the black right. undercoat. Yeah. Right, so I, I was surprised when I saw your figure in person the first time, because uh, I, I couldn't, you know, you can't tell when it, you know, digitally, right, on, uh, on the screen. Yep. You know, but in person it was dark, you know, so. Like, <laughs> so it could be my guy. personality. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, so I thought I thought you you paint your figures with with the way you photograph in mind. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yes, that's what that's what I thought. Yeah, because I think ultimately, right? Um, if you're doing box art, it's still going to be a two D image. So that's the that's the, I mean, for me, it's very straightforward. It's a professional job. The the purpose is to sell the figures and making make sure that you know whatever I whatever I whatever I paint, make sure it's going to be a seller. And that's uh, that's how, right. that's how I roll. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, because Tae Tae Sung is running an enterprise, right? He's he's got to put food on the table. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I know. Food on the table and whiskey in the jar. 
So I've got a business question for both of you guys, because um, Calvin, I mean, you're in the digital world. That's that's your day job, and yep. um, you know, we all know that digital is a thing. 3D printing, uh, digital sculpting, and ZBrush. We're seeing a lot more of that out there. Yep. And you know, Taesung, I know that for you, that's competition. So I, I'm just curious you know, what the two of you, how the two of you see that down the road and, you know, how it will affect your own businesses. Calvin, you want to go first? Well, okay. So for me, I'm doing painting. I'm, I'm doing mainly doing painting, but I, I do have to say, because I've painted both hand sculpts as well as digital sculpts. So if, um, if I mean, I, I just had a conversation with a local model that day regarding there's a difference in terms of the, the feel that you get with a digital sculpt and you, the ones that you get with a hand sculpt. Now, what I like about hand sculpts is that they are modeled by hand. So in a sense that, you know, the, 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 the markings that you see on a hand sculpt, they are sort of mapped to the brush, actual brush. Because some of the creases were also created by using a brush, not just the you know the the, the silicone tool, but it's also done to, with the brushes. So right. in a sense that it sort of you know echoes, the hand sculpt does echo with the hand painting. So in a sense that you know like for example, uh, John Rosen grand sculpts are all mainly all hand sculpts. So in a sense, painting it, uh, painting those uh, those sculpts right. In a sense, you you can sort of you know match your brush strokes. With the um, with with the with the the strokes that you see on the sculpted surface, so it's a very different experience. You can sort of match with that. Now with digital sculpts, what you have is you have a a what they call that a facsimile, a photocopy of the actual uh, actual garments. And even for now, with like ZBrush and Blenders, there are programs algorithms that you can feed it through the computer, and they can create the simulated. I mean, they can simulate cloth. You don't really have to sculpt the cloth now. You can simulate the cloth. So it looks very realistic. But however, I think at the end of the day, uh, it all boils down to the, sens- uh, the, the sensibility of the artist. You know, there are some people who are like the computers to do all the work. And, you know, the, 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 it, it somehow or rather, it looks like a very polished product. But it does lack personality. That's what I feel with digital sculpt. They do like a personal, do like personality, and I think um, with uh, with digital sculpts, right? Because it's too perfect, that it, it loses uh, the, the it loses the imperfection, and that you know, I feel personally feels that the sculpts appear feels very synthetic. As a result, what do you mean imperfection? <laughs> the, imperfection the, imper- the imperfection, the imperfection meaning it's like it's a, the imperfection meanings that you know it's you know it's crafted by human hands. It, it cannot be hundred percent perfect. It's like maybe it's like you know it's it's this little flaws that gives it its personality. So for example, you know, uh, let's say if you look at a let's say if you if you compare a a tank in a showroom. And a tank in the battlefield, you find that the one, the tank in the battlefield has more character, has more personality, because well, let's face it, it's out in the field, it's it's it's, it's, it's gone through a pretty rough time. There's a story to it, and there's also imperfections to it, and it's the imperfection that you know, lends you know, adds character 
personality to 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 to, to the subject. So that's how I feel about that's how I, that's how I fundamentally feel the difference between digital scalps and you know hand scalps. I'm really confused now because I saw some guy on Facebook say that tanks didn't last long enough to get those imperfections. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows they only lasted a week. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting because at the end of the day, when we're sort of rendering, um, what are we trying to represent here? Because there are people, let's say, for example, if they were to model a tank, right? So very simple. Let's talk about writing. There's report writing and there's also fictional writing, right? And there's also historical fiction as well, right? Let's say, for example, you know, historical fiction based on history, but then it's a fiction, a fictional story like Saving Private Ryan. It's a fictional, you know, it's a historical fiction, so for some of the models as well, you know, if you want to sort of, you know, um, tell a more exciting story with, uh, with, with, with cast against a historical backdrop, now people would sort of, you know, more people, you, you find that the piece of work has more accessibility compared to something that's very dry, whereby you match every detail in every color on that piece. You know, it is, it is representative, it is accurate nonetheless, but let's face it, it's going to be very boring. <laughs> You know, but we had a guy in the SMCG this morning who posted his uh, figure that he was working on, and it's a German guy in a black coat that I guess was kind of rubberized. And several people was said, you know, maybe it needs some highlights. And the guy who's working on it said, well, but you know, it's pretty monochromatic, and that's just the way it is. There's only so much I can do. And my comment was, worrying about realism is the best way to make your figures uninteresting. Yep. I mean, it's the same thing with food as well, right? So if you're talking about, I mean, you can take a potato and you can boil it in water and eat it, but you're, you're, you're not going to last more than two bites. <laughs> now, you take the same potato, you skin it, you know, you cut it into chips, you deep fry it in duck fat, and you triple fry it. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, it's the same potato, but the response is going to be very different. <laughs> <laughs> me, I, I think the 3D from, uh, is, is not a competition for me. It's, uh, it's, you know, different sculptors decide to use different tools and, you know, that's all there is to it for me. And the only two advantages that, that digital sculpting has over manual sculpting is you could scale it up and down and um, it's faster. The work is faster. But scaling up and down, that that also, you know, it's not like you could have a file and then print it two different sizes, one thirty fifth and one sixteenth, and expect to to look good. Right. It does not always have, work yeah. out that way. Yeah. So you, you still have to work on the file for before you print it out. So um, in an in different scale. And quality wise, for me, it, it depends on the you know sculptor, but quality there. You know, I think they're the same. It, it you know, because it, it, it all depends on the sculptor. The quality is the same. I used to and, think that hand sculpting was always better than three D. <clears throat> that three D lacked personality. But I'm I'm wondering now whether it's that three D has less of a barrier to entry than hand sculpting did. That it's easier to learn to use a computer, and maybe there's just more three D sculpts out there but there's as many good sculptors. It's just there's more bad sculptors that go. I think it's a speed, and it is, you know, it's, that's why a lot of sculptors use, you know, you 
use 3D uh, ZBrush or whatnot. Um, but also, you don't have to have all these tools and deal with the putty and lo lotion and all that. <laughs> lotion. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I remember, you know, people saying things online, you know, it's end of manual sculpting and, you know, it, but it, it doesn't matter when, when you have, whether it's manually sculpted or, or 3D sculpted, it's, you know, you have the figure in your hand, that's what counts, right? And it, it doesn't matter how it's made, right? You have to, you have to have a good, you know, a good figure. That's, you know, you get a good figure with manually done or is it really done? It's, it doesn't matter. And then, uh, you know, also, when, when also Calvin was talking about how, uh, a manual, a manually sculpted figures that you know it's easier to paint. When I'm sculpting, if I if I put a blade there, if I can put a blade and make you know to make this detail, then people can put a tip of the brush there. Hmm. Yeah. So I know it's, it's, I know it's possible to paint this. You know yes. what I mean? Yep. And also, <clears throat> also, um, for some reason, a manual sculpt sculpt. Uh, manually sculpted figure has slightly more volume to it. I mean, the, the height's the same, but it has more volume to it. Because, because um, if if you if you look at the figure, you know, if you make sculpt the figure manually and you're looking at it in person, so uh, automatically certain parts are exaggerated. The volume's slightly exaggerated, hands a little larger, the boots a little larger, the head is a little larger. But when you see the figure on the screen, you don't see that. You know, I mean, you have to do that uh, separately. You have to work, you know, work on the, you know, you have to think about how when it's printed, you know, 50 millimeter tall, and, I, you know, certain parts have to be exaggerated, and so you have to... Um, do extra work to count that. Mm -hmm. right? That's why you, you see uh, the, the, a lot of uh, 3D rendered figures. They have a they're slimmer. They're slimmer, and the the heads are, and hands are small. Uh, pretty small. If, <laughs> yeah, if you if you look at them, if you see them in person, it's you know you see the difference. But also, I feel like if you're if you're at a computer working in ZBrush or whatever, and you're you're working off of your base sort of skeleton being turned, and you're building up your figure that way. You only have the computer to look at. Whereas, if you get someone to take photos of you, then you're the one who was in that pose, and you can you can put yourself in that pose, and you can feel how your weight shifts, and like there's subtleties right. there that that are because. You, you're modeling it after yourself in a pose that you've, you know, uh, set up, but also because you're the one holding the tool, like there's, there are subtleties there that I think you only get by sculpting from hand. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, so, so for instance, the balance, right? The balance of the figure when it's, let's say standing on the right foot, the figure has to stand on its own, right? Mm. On my table. And that tells me it has a good balance. If the pose is that you're, you're, you're standing and your, your body weight is on the right foot, 
then your head is right on top of your right foot, right? And the balance has to be perfect for the for the for the figure to stand on its own. But when you're working on a on a screen, you can't tell whether whether it's the heavy, gravity, heavy. the gravity, right? Because if you go little too far, if the head is little far to the right, then it's gonna fall over. Yep. Right. I mean, eventually sculptors will get it. You know, you know the three D sculptors they will get it eventually. You know, as time goes by. I was going to say, though, I kind of feel like if you were designing in 3D, your figures would be just as good because the key element is your understanding of anatomy and your feel yeah, for how weight is and how cloth lies and stuff. I think it when you see bad 3D figures, it's not the tool. It's the guy making it doesn't have that understanding, doesn't have that eye for it. I think if you've got the eye for it, whichever tool you're working in, it'll work. I mean, other right, than the fact you yeah. can physically stand your figure up, they can't right. <laughs> to see if it doesn't fall I mean, over. <laughs> right, like if, for instance, like you know, if you, if a, if a sculptor like uh, John Rosen Grant, if, if he's he start doing a digital work, you know, it's gonna be perfect. You know what I mean? And he still, it, it, and he would still have his his signature style. And maybe that's because he started. He, he's been sculpting manually so long, and then he already has a style, maybe. So if anybody starts sculpting figure, and they, then and then I would recommend them to to make manual figure first, you know, to have an understanding what 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 needs to be done to print it print it out this you know fifty millimeter tall. Well, our buddy our buddy Jim Rice is a perfect example of that uh, because he's uh, he was sculpting by hand for a long time. And then yeah. started doing ZBrush, and uh, I mean you're exactly right. His stuff is equally good both ways because he's got the eye. He has that right. understanding. Right. For English listeners, that's Z brush. <laughs> I'm sorry. For English listeners, that's Z brush. Uh, it's all right. I'm just winding, winding Will up. <laughs> I mean, for for Calvin, like you know, they have a a 3D color printer. So, so you, you wouldn't have to paint anymore. <laughs> well, um, AI is going to replace it. all of us <laughs> tomorrow. Well, <laughs> at, at the end of the day, you can. I mean, there's a difference between you know a, 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 a photograph and an oil portrait, right? So, the interesting enough, right? I mean, if you if you if you look at it, right, a photograph, it's uh, you know has all the details there. So, why do you still want to commission someone to do an oil portrait? You know. Or why would you want to paint in oils, right? When you could just take a photograph. Exactly. Or, or why don't why 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 do some people still commission oil painters to do an oil portrait of them? And they pay, I mean, hundreds of dollars, uh, hundred times more to get a commission, such a commission. Right. You know. But there's something about mixing the colors and finding the harmony that you know, like even working within a structure like uniform colors. Yes. You still have a way to harmonize the the colors that you're using in in an individual way you know like yes a lot of people obviously you see anytime someone posts a, a a painted figure they're like oh what did you use for your skin tone well yeah okay but there's the skin tone but also you throw a little bit of this and you spice it up a little bit right you don't you don't cook yeah. the same thing the same way every time you make it yep so there, there's uh, new it depends yeah 
yeah, there are nuances there that, that are hard to, to sort of describe to people, you know. But Okay, the good example, right? Let's go back to food. Let's talk about pizza, right? <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of good pizzas out there. Everyone tastes different, but equally good. But they are, they are unique in their own way, right? They, they I could, don't even talk about pizza, man. I live in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> the best pizza here. Yeah, yeah. Tra- Tracy, Tracy may have. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. may be the this this may be the first the first fight in the history of of pizza SCU. Wars. No, no, I mean they, Tracy. You, Tracy you owns have, a restaurant. He cooks pizza. You could have the best pizza in a certain place. Now, I'm not trying to have the yeah. best pizza in New York. I'm just trying to have the best pizza here. Yeah, exactly. But like I said, it's not. It's not. I mean, it's different. That's that. The, at the end of the day, it's, it's the diversity that we should be celebrating. Rather than you know saying that this is the best style, this is the best flavor, you know. So every and, and the thing is that everybody brings um, to the table their uniqueness, and that's what creates the diversity in, in 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 this in this hobby, you know. It's about appreciating, yeah. I think that's exactly what three uh, D technology did to the to the hobby. It brought yeah, in diversity. It, yeah, exactly. It's diversity. Actually, to a large extent, it's democratized it as well. Yes, exactly. It is. It sort of leveled the playing field. It's sort of like you know, you don't have to like spend twenty years learning how about anatomy, about you know how to use epoxy parties or whatever clays, you know, to to achieve that sort of result. You know, it, it's it's a tool for people to unleash their creativity, and that's it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you don't see it as much with with figures. Because that's just a whole other level that the average scale modeler is just not really going to get to. But with hard surface parts, you know, now yeah. you see lots and printing. lots of guys. Yeah, lots and lots of guys downloading Fusion 360 and learning some basic design skills. And now they're making their own gas cans and their own spare wheels and, you know, running them on their $300 3D printer. And yep. it, it's it, it's cool. I mean, it, it, you're exactly right. It really gives people a lot more creative options. Hmm. But do you think, do you think those, uh, let's say, uh, two same tank, um, in a competition, one has details made manually, the other one details made digitally. Do you think they should be in the same category? Duck and cover. That's a that's a that's a really it's a really good question, and 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 I know that that like the IPMS guys have have been having that argument about kits. Mm. Uh, is a is a kit that was completely designed in CAD and 3D printed by the builder eligible for the scratch built category. Right. And you know, and that's it, it, it have like three parts in it, right? <laughs> it could. Yeah, it absolutely could. You could. Well, that's you're seeing that with, uh, with, with engines. Um, our buddy, John Colasante just, just, just completed designing a, a Pratt Whitney radial, and it's all one part. And he did it that way so that he could get all the cables and wires and hoses and make it easier to, 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 to look good and then paint. And so you are seeing some of that. And, I, I, you know, I guess my answer is the same on all of it. That's kind of like what you said about the difference between a, a hand sculpted or a, or a 3D or a digitally sculpted figure. At the end of the day, it's all about the results. And that's all that should really be judged. 
you know, you, you, I mean, to me, you shouldn't be able to tell the difference between a hand sculpted right. detail part on a on a tank model and a three D printed, digitally designed detail because it's all about how they're assembled and finished. And right. you don't, if you don't do a good job of that, you know. So I I don't know if that's right. if, if that's a cop out or not, but but I, right. to me, that's that's what it boils down to. And yeah, at the end of the day, the modeler chose to do it either 3D or manually. So that's, 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 you know, that choice that the modeler makes and, and it's the results that, that counts. Whatever you do, do it well. I guess it comes to the competition as well in terms of the criteria. You know, if they, if, do they, do they, do they take into account that, um, that, a, that a scratch built in styrene is going to be part of the grading? Or are they just going for the overall final end product? I mean, looking at the overall experience. Depends which you know? category so, you're in. <laughs> if you're in exactly. the scratch so, converted category, yeah. If you're not, no. That, and that's the that's the that's the thing with that having that as a category. Because in my brief yeah. judging experience, if you just walk up to the table and look at a tank model, you're not going to know the difference. You're not going to know exactly. how the how the gas cans were made. All you sure. are going to see is is do they look good or not. And yeah. so for that to be part of the of the judging process, it has to be known, okay, this category is specifically for that. And that's a, it's, it's a question. Where the problem comes with judging scratch-built versus uh, 3D, you know if a scratch-built was made at least by one modeler. Whether it was made by that modeler, you can never really know. But you know it's made by one modeler because it's unique. Something that's scratch built or hand sculpted is one hundred percent unique. Whereas if it's three D printed, do you know if they created the file or if they bought it or if they uh, someone else did it for them or something? You, you know, I mean, if someone else did it for them, you could say that about the scratch built because we've all heard of times where people have entered someone else's model in a competition. God knows why. It's like getting someone to run a race for you, then go and I can go fast. It's just stupid, isn't it? <laughs> but. You know, that's the that's the only issue. Uh, I guess, but you know, they can argue that you know, in this diorama, you know, all the figures are not by is not sculpted by me by the modeler, mm. but it is this is my work. You know, they they can argue that I guess. Well, it depends. I mean, if it's being judged on that work, I mean, if right. it's just a diorama, it's being judged on diorama elements, not who made it, in a sense, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, not who sculpted it, but if it's in a scratch book category and you've got 3D stuff entered and you're judging someone that's definitely the work of one person versus yeah. something that may be the work of someone else or that's the only issue I'd have with it. But maybe that's a good reason to put it in two different categories. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer. You know? <laughs> Neither do I. Just a question. <laughs> well, we've been... You know, I, I don't know anything about color, but Calvin or, you know, yeah. if any of any of you can answer, but you know, when you paint, you know the let's say the the German tank crew, they have a, a rose pink piping. Yeah. Right on the head and the uniform, right? Yep, that's a brand so, Yeah, color. you you yeah. So you you take the color and you paint the piping. Once you paint it, then it looks red. It's not pink anymore. Once you you know. You know, in in the jar, it looks like it's you know it's pink. Yeah. But when you paint it, that that paint that tiny line on the figure, it looks red. Why is that? Um, are you are you judging from the photos? 
it's not. It's it could be yeah, sometimes for, be the, for the yeah, yeah, yeah. it could be for the photos because sometimes when you sort of you know we take the photos and you sort of tweak the saturation, that that, that because the rose pink, some it's actually very it's actually very it's a very dark pink, it's very close to red. It is not like your light pastel pink. So wow. it may it, it may it may end up you know appearing due, due to the uh, the color corrections. It could also be if you adjust the levels in Photoshop. The, the the pink may turn up to if you if you ramp up the saturation, it may turn up looking red. But for for me, when I paint the piping, I usually use pink. In fact, I use uh, uh, it's not really pink, but I sort of use red. I cut it down with flash. Wow. So you, you, you get that thing, you, you sort of you know you get the uh, that, 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 that color. Yep. Okay. So that's yep. Yes, professor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I do. That's what I do. That's what I do. But um, well, guys, sometimes something. Yeah. We could we could chat all or I could just listen to you two chat all day, but uh, <laughs> we really need to to wrap this up so that I can get this to a nice tight uh, two hours for the interview on the podcast. So, okay, sure. is there anything else, uh, Tracy? Will anything else you'd like to ask? I'm good. This has been fun. Yeah, it's been great. Now, I really, I really wish I had time to go to the bench right now. I'm very inspired. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got a bust on my bench that I'm only a little way into, and I really am thinking about how I'm going to incorporate the stuff that Calvin talked about. Um, you know, using just using glazes because I've sort of made myself the task of only doing it with acrylics. I will. Uh, Alpine sells bus too. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, I've got to. I actually have to sculpt my uh, commander figure for my scimitar. So hmm. this has been this has been the perfect timing for this because I was a little apprehensive, but now I just want to jump in and and try. You know. Oh, cool. Cool. I mean, you know, if you have any, you know, questions. Yeah, I'll hit you up. I'll, I'll get some yeah, feedback. I will for sure. Something I want to get into as well lately is sculpting. Uh, so, you know, once I've finished uh, sculpting, I can hit you up, Calvin, for painting. Uh, Chris, do you have <laughs> so a we've got both problem. people we need right here. Do you have a slow cooker? <laughs> no, but, I, well, I do, but I doubt, I mean, I recently used part of our pasta machine for making some stuff i'm already in trouble for that so uh before i, before I ruin the slow cooker maybe i should look online uh-huh. for a cheap one <laughs> maybe alpine could release a slow cooker yeah. <laughs> just uh, just yeah. uh, you know get get a couple of orders yeah. yeah, I should I should come out with the tool set with the with the crock pot. Right? <laughs> I was gonna say, maybe I need to delete the bit where you discuss the tools before someone like copies them and releases. Them. <laughs> you do it like a hamper, things. right? Or release it like a hamper with your with your Alpine logo on it. <laughs> <laughs> on a paint shaker. <laughs> yeah, or oh, paint shakers. Yeah, I've seen those come. <laughs> Alpine lotion. <laughs> okay, guys. All right, thank you guys All All right. for having thank us. Thank you guys. All right, thank you. Stay right, thanks. Thanks. Right, cheers. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys, let me tell you everything that's going on at Inside the Armour Publications. First, I want to talk to you about our new decal sets in 172nd and 148th for the 13th Tactical Fighter Squadron at Udorn Royal Thai Air Force Base in 1968. The set covers four Phantom F4Ds, Bad news, Ripley's Believe It or Not, Mr. Snoopy and Black Mariah. 
and is compiled and designed with the assistance of Lieutenant Colonel Robert J. Bowers, pilot of Black Mariah. The set also includes detailed information from Lieutenant Colonel Bowers on ordnance loads carried on his missions during his time at Udor. Next I want to talk to you about Models for Ukraine Volume 2. This is still available and features work from such stellar modelling talents as Fanch Lubin, Sam Dwyer, Calvin Tan, Alex Clark and many more. With over 100 pages of incredible tips, techniques and artistry and all profit goes to humanitarian aid for Ukraine. Next I want to tell you about my other podcast, Models from Ukraine, where I interview model company luminaries from Ukraine including Armoury Models, Wingsy Kits, Res Kit, Dora Wings and many more. Plus. Modelers like Robert Blocker, Alex Clark, and our own Will Patterson. It's a shorter listen and more serious, but I think you'll like it. So for all of this, plus Wingsy Kits 148 Phenomenal Aircraft Kits, my other books on scratch building, modelling armour, modelling aircraft, and much, much more, go to InsideTheArmour.com. Yeah, I really enjoyed that interview. What did you think, Tracy? I was so absolutely stoked to get to the bench and try some of this stuff. Like there's whether it's whether it's uh sculpting, making your own sculpting tools and and keeping some fucking lotion on your hand and looking looking like a pervert to uh to the uh soon to be released Alpine brand uh slow cookers. <laughs> um, like Taesung just dropped some really, really great uh, information about getting your hands dirty and starting sculpting, and and I mean, I just want to—I can't wait to get started. And then on the other hand, you've got Calvin, who's you know classical art education uh, just made him really, really interesting to talk to about painting and and the fact that he has streamlined his process by priming with uh with a, a clear coat and and just using really thin layers but also that fucking the the uh the epoxy painting the epoxy for straps for and shoelaces things, and, yeah. and straps and things like that like there's just so much in there you're just like holy shit these guys and they and because they know each other they they were yeah. goofing it was a really really great conversation one of the best we've had i think they didn't really need us did they no not really but <laughs> we we did ask a good question here and there to to just to get keep them, them on track yeah. yeah will yeah i loved it i thought it was fun uh, you know like tracy said they they are they are you know a, a good pair you can tell that they've known each other for a long time and and so that made it fun um, and you know, like Taesung, he just—he's just such a cool guy. Like you know, listeners couldn't have seen this, but you know, he comes in, he's in his studio, he's got his cigarette, he's just kind of hanging out. I'm like, this is the guy, right? He just—he just seemed like he looks like a rock star, doesn't he? Yeah, just yeah, just you know, pretty you know, pretty comfortable with where he's at. Which you know, that's the mark of somebody who's good at what they do. And it has a lot of experience and, and, uh, I found that stuff interesting, but because I'm trying to be a figure painter when I grow up, I was really tuned in to the stuff Calvin was saying because it just really made a lot of sense to me. And it was convenient that I wanted to work on this little one tenth scale bust that I've got because I immediately went and tried, um, that strategy of, of base basing, you know, making a base color that's that's light, uh, lighter than the 
that's like the the value the same value as the highlights. Yeah, I think is the right, is the way to say it. And then using really thin glazes or washes or whatever you want to call them, and letting the color build up in the low spots to help you create color shadows. Because that's always frustrated me. I, I just never feel confident that I know how to make my shadow color work. And uh, and so it's a cool technique. I, I did not have the right kind of uh, acrylic thinner, so I kind of manufactured some, and it mostly worked. Uh, but you know, it's it was it was good. Really, a, a fun a fun thing. And I I am hoping it'll help me on my bumpy progress towards learning how to paint figures. I mean, at the very least, it makes you want to jump in with both feet and try it, right? Yeah, it's specific stuff you can go and do. Actionable things. Yep. Calvin's not just incredibly good at what he does. He's incredibly good at talking about it as well. Mm-hmm. And it really mm-hmm. makes you feel it's achievable because a lot of there's a lot of amazing painters out there and a lot of them are very good communicators, but not many make you feel like you could you want to just get up and do it, that you could have a go at it and take it on. So um really glad we had them both on and I, I really enjoyed that interview. If you would like to hear more from Taser and Calvin, I should say they've both been interviewed individually on small subjects. And mm-hmm. then Jim and Barry did amazing interviews with both of them, a lot, particularly in Calvin's interview about color theory, which is yeah. really, really interesting. So get on over to the small subjects uh, website on boxdioramas.com and uh, small subjects page and look those up because they're really worth having to listen to. All right. Who've we got next show? Next show, we're going to wake up our buddy Sam Dwyer in Australia land in the future and have him <laughs> chat with us. It's, it's, it's been long coming. We've threatened it for a long time and it's just been logistics. that's kept us from doing it. Well, and three uh, massively different time zones don't help. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult, but um, he's, he's up early uh, on the reg anyway. So, and we're going to be recording a little later than normal, so it, it's actually going to work out, I think, pretty well. And uh, I don't know. It's just going to be fun to, to catch up with him. He's such a good guy. He's a bit of a dickhead because he's such a good modeler, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be so bad if he wasn't so fucking fast. But anyway, <clears throat> that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. See you soon. Yep. Adios, bitches.